Nu kör vi. Där har ni några riktiga snärtar. back from a longer break in terms of recording with uh, Maiden A to Z, but we've been running every week as per usual, and we are here now with a pretty uh, special guest, I would say. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Happy to welcome Don Svana to uh, Maiden A to Z land. How are you? I'm very fine, thank you. I hope you are too in this strange time. So just to kind of jump into your day, what have you been up to today? Have you been mixing? Yeah, I have been... Um mixing i th- the weirdest thing is that um i thought i think the band contacted me and wanted to do a mastering and then i i kind of always gave a feedback i think i cannot really work with this what you're sending i suggest that you remix and you do this and that and blah 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 and at the end of the day they said oh it's it's better that you mix it then okay why not you know <laughs> all right and um yeah. i totally forgotten that I should mix it because the email still said mastering. Mm. And then <laughs> I said, oh, another album to mix. Cool, I had no idea because there's so much going on. So I have actually right. been mixing um, and I can, I don't really know the band name also not. It's some kind of Swedish sounding death metal. And I think they are maybe from America also. It's still the All first right. day and I've been working with it a couple of hours. But, um, they're, they're doing the HM2 sound. Yeah, or? not really. I think not they really, are okay. they are looking for um, something quite similar to what I did with Cut Up, which is this uh, vomitory, this kind of side project. Also, I think they they existed when Vomitory and Cold Worker quit. These guys put together a band called mm. Cut Up okay. that I mixed the record with, and uh, it's a really good, brutal, kind of. It doesn't have the heavy metal pedal, but there's still this kind of Swedish. It's sometimes yeah. it, it's just what what kind of notes you play. You know, it's it's like I, I think if you have a distortion pedal or not, it's it's not really that nah, important nah. as long as you you play. I mean, I listened to some some earlier um, nihilist stuff, uh, and they don't really have the left hand path guitar sound on the first demo. But it's right. still there, you know. Everything you need is it's still there. It's not in the pedal. Of course, it helps. But um, I must yeah. also say that the heavy metal pedal actually limits you in a way uh, because yeah. you cannot really play all that much special not, uh, bigger chords, and it just turns into a fucking mess, you know. And some bands don't yeah. seem to realize this. But um, for me, it was always a good limiting thing. But with Edge of Sanity, I always wanted us to have one heavy metal pedal and then another guitar that right, had a right. normal distortion pedal and you have best of both worlds so to speak it is a very limiting pedal i can't play with it because i like to use all six strings when i play guitar yeah that you <laughs> yeah, can't normally. forget yeah but exactly. maybe maybe uh when you have six guitar players you can each have one, one string. string and six <laughs> string. heavy metal pedals <laughs> heavy metal pedal. <laughs> yeah all right so for you for you dear listener just a quick introduction because of course dance fauna is quite uh, known to us but maybe not to everyone out there 
So like, uh, it's hard to do a quick introduction because you've been involved in so many projects by now. But for me, at least, uh, literally half my life ago, 17 years ago, I'm 34 today, I had this uh, demo band and, you know, we were, I've been playing for a couple of years only and we were trying to put this demo together and uh, we had a clean singing part and no one in the band could do it. And then I, I, I took the chance to send an email. This was pre, definitely pre-Facebook, but also pre-Gmail. So I sent an email from my, from my email.com <laughs> to, to, Don, to Don here and I asked him, hey, could you help us out with this clean vocal part, you know, shot in the dark, you know, literally. And, uh, and uh, you actually did, which I think was a little bit ahead of the times. You know, it wasn't that common back then to, to do these kind of collabs and help out and send files. No, I guess you you, you catch me in the lucky lucky yeah. moment, I guess. Uh, not that I'm an asshole or anything, but uh, there have always <laughs> been times when I I welcomed this kind of uh, like guest work. I did I did so much. I had uh, no recollection of you know when I was building my homepage, uh, com, Maybe I think the work was maybe around eight years ago. And then I wanted to have everything I did also as a session. And I just had to Google my name and then just go through. And then, oh, I sing on a Swallow the Sun record. I had <laughs> no idea. And then I sing Mach on Jens Bogrian was really up and coming at the time. And whenever a band didn't have enough good clean vocal, I would go and do some session work for him, including yeah. his own band at the time, Screaming Jesus, they were called. So I did a lot of that stuff because... I was going through um, the same kind of thing that I'm going through now, where I don't feel like writing or doing anything with my own music in this way, like, you know, recording demos and this and that. But I remember that I was really into just helping out and doing, you know, this guy need... I, I sang a whole record for an Indonesian band in like 2010 that's still not been huh. released. Oh, wow. You know, really? that kind of stuff, yeah, just to make extra money, just to keep me busy and just to keep my name out there because it actually kind of helped to, to land a few deals with album mixing and album mastering. And the time I wasn't as known as I am today when I would sing a song or two or, you know, sure. just make a guest line or play some keyboard or guitar solo or whatever, like I used to do in the old studio times when I played keyboards on almost any record yeah. I did, you know, so. Yeah, and what happened was that you also, we asked you for this vocal part a few seconds, but then you said, oh, the producer brain in me needs a guitar solo. So you added a guitar solo <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know? so, wow, yeah, very, that's very, very good of me. <laughs> yeah, very good of you. You know, we, we're talking kids here, 16, 17 years old, you know, we just started, we didn't know what we were doing. I, had, yeah. I mixed the album, but I had no clue what was in those tracks, you know, or what a compressor actually did. So, I mean, oh, it's a good thing. And I think I, I like to try to, to have some contact now as well with, uh, with younger musicians. Yeah, I still mix 16, 17 year old member bands. I mean, I, I, nobody should forget that my most successful bands were around that age when I first worked with them. And I did the very first Catatonia demo, the first Marduk demo. You know, the first time these guys were ever really properly recorded was in my old studio in, in yeah. Finspong. And they, they were nobodies, you know. And just because I was 
kind of maybe even you know had a record out and this and that it didn't mean that i felt no i will only work with signed bands mm -hmm. i was scared shitless of bands that that had been in studios before and you know and maybe they had been to a proper studio even <laughs> because yeah. mine was not you know so for me i preferred to to work with kind of studio virgins or so to speak and still to this day there were, there's a band called deserted fear that's kind of up and coming mm -hmm. from germany i did their first three albums i think and gave them really good deals and all this because i heard something in them and i also felt that uh, one of the members had this drive about him that i know one day they will end up on Century media and they will be headlining tours mm -hmm. and this is what they're doing now you know it's great so sometimes yeah. you just have to to go with the vibe and super I was just looking through uh, just a few minutes before we started your like your credits on your website, and I was just to figure I was trying to figure out what we what we should sort of as we kind of you know mention you and promote you a little bit what what stuff we'd mention, but you have your your list of credits is so so huge it's almost be faster to mention them, you know what bands you haven't actually been involved with yeah. it's, it's, yeah. so it's very impressive uh, you know resume yeah thank you well I haven't worked with Iron Maiden yet oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I remember also from back then. I was, uh, I think, I was still seventeen, and you had a show with Nightingale, your uh, your band with your with your brother. Uh, yeah. Started out as your solo project. My first album with Nightingale was actually that uh, Breathing Shadow album, so that's still quite close to me. I don't know if it's your favorite, the very first one. <sighs> it's it's different because um, it's like the first three Nightingale records were all kind of supposed to be. The last one we did, but for some strange reason, <laughs> it always made another one. And it was never really like I wanted to, you know, it's sometimes you, you make a record and you mix it and you think, ah, oh, the next one will be better, you know. But for me, it was always like, no, this is the only Nightingale record ever. And then for whatever reasons, I made a second one. And then I said, now it's fucking over, you know, but <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Then we came back and did the I record. So it was... For me, the best Nightingale album that I did in 94-95 is The Breathing Shadow. The best one I did ah, in 96 yeah. is The Closing Chronicles. I cannot... It's like talking about your favorite kids or your favorite pets or whatever. Right, uh, right. Later on, once we got to Alive Again and Invisible and White Darkness and, and this and that, it started to be like a traditional... You felt that you are doing now this kind of album and the next one should be a reflection of this one, blah, blah, blah. We had a full lineup and, you know, I didn't play all the instruments or most of them. Yeah. So there's kind of, there's a bunch of Nightingales. It's me as a solo, Nightingale as a duo, and then Nightingale as a quartet. They're all special. Yeah. And this was in, this was invisible uh, when, I, when I came to Örebro to see you. And I think I couldn't go, get into that place yet. I wasn't 18 yet, so, but I was on the guest list. So oh, I could get in, and it was, and I remember you said in between the songs. So this is our first tie to Iron Maiden, actually, because you said like, "Hey, it would be nice to have this kind of uh, live after death power slave sore. <laughs> can, <laughs> okay. can I try and procure that? You know, <laughs> because you know it was a tiny bar, a, a place, a venue where I would play, uh, ah, similar okay. to that, Kellus. Yeah, okay, in, in Örebro. That's true. I think it was the release party. Yeah, so that's yeah. the last time, the only time I think that we met in person. But uh, okay, yeah, cool. That, that was yeah, also there was fun, a, yeah. a lot of stuff going on that day. Still pre Facebook, but there was this thing called Ultimate Metal. Are you familiar with that, Eric? I've heard about it. Yeah, I think I think I was in there a little bit back in the day. Uh, yeah, but yeah, 
And Dawn was on there as the Watcher. Was that a, a nod to Genesis? That title? No, that it was an, a nod to Subway Mirror. We Subway have a song Mirror. called The Watcher. Yeah. yeah. Subway yeah. Mirror is that also with uh, Nasum drummer? No, that's Route Nine. Route that's, Nine. Um, that's right. The only yeah. project we had together that I can remember. Anyway, we were yeah. supposed to form a punk band called Skrammel, which is like making noise. And I yeah. remember we we. Um, tried to write a punk song and it sounded terrible and then i said fuck this let's make metal and then we started orcas that became masticate that became root nine <laughs> we're moving yeah. fast in the in the old days you know and yeah really yeah people are still asking about this root nine stuff it's it's kind of it was pretty cool i remember it was kind of experimental cool, I, and strange yeah. and and uh, a bit too obviously written while recorded but um i think it's okay there are some really strange riffs and we were a little bit uh, i don't know too late or too early with some of this more like hardcore metal almost rap ish yeah. kind of stuff yeah. we were doing then but that's okay you know it's just some people like to to meet up and and get drunk i'd like to meet up and form bands and record songs you know that's <laughs> yeah and for me one, one thing doesn't exclude the other right you could do both those things actually as well yeah that's that's how we do the whole bloodbath <laughs> thing that that yeah, was exactly. kind of a party slash form a death metal band but um yeah there, there was a lot of that going on i mean before diving completely into maiden i thought i wanted to ask eric because i haven't asked you like yeah. which uh, which uh, albums are you familiar with from from this vana well, catalog well, I was just I, just about to say actually uh one of my uh my girlfriend at the time introduced me to what would become, still to this day, one of my favorite albums of all time, uh, Moon Tower. Oh, yeah. I agree. Really, I think it's just it's a great album. Yeah. And that one you did all, you played everything on it, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I did everything. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it, and it still totally holds up. I listened to it just, uh, you know, getting ready for this. Oh, cool. And it's still, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, just, it has a very special sound, and it just, uh, it's at least some of the songs definitely are always, always in semi-rotation. Awesome album. I like that it's kind of, it went back up to the normal standard tuning uh, or maybe you used your D A D A D E on that one. No, I don't know. That, that was not uh, really at the time. I was very, very strict, um, which would be normal tuning. But I remember that I did two songs in D drop. Okay. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest is just standard tuning. And I don't know. It was a lot of, lot of rules going on at the time how it should be. But most most of the the riffs were kind of written on an uh, acoustic nylon string guitar that was oh, tuned wow. normally. Mm. And um, I remember that I wanted to use a little bit less distortion, a little bit less metal, yeah. and maybe a little bit more hard rock. So it Which was kind of nice. kind of an old Marshall and this and that. And uh, the whole, the first idea was to make a record that sounded very old, like early 70s kind of prog rock. But... The weird part was that it worked for this track with Serge Coogan that I did with Mikael Åkefeldt. That worked super, yeah. you know? And then I tried kind of the same sound with towels on the drums and very mid-range guitars. And then it just sounded like a really bad death metal demo. <laughs> because that's kind of how that style sounds sometimes, you know, with this uh, yeah. kind of inexperienced engineer who just dead and all the drums and and i thought huh this will no one will understand that i am trying to make it sound 1970s it sounds just like bad 1994 so yeah. um <laughs> i i went with a more modern sound uh with with the drums but i kept the bass and the, and the rhythm guitars a little bit more towards the older 
kind of 80s or 70s and uh, trying to avoid all this super cliches and it, it was really useful and, and then I had um, only eight tracks of digital recording and another eight tracks in this kind of also digital but it was one of those Porter studio things and a lot of MIDI so I didn't have so many tracks to experiment so you had your two rhythm tracks for the guitar you had one bass you had I think five for the drums and then you could record a little bit of this and that on the digital porter like the guitar solos and the vocals I think so you had to be really smart about how you wanted to arrange it but it it gave it this natural limitation you just yeah. couldn't do like stacked backing vocals with 800 copies of yourself like I can do now <laughs> you know but yeah. it worked anyway you focused on the more essential stuff does it work is the song yeah. working or not you know yeah it's a very good album i think and it, it, it really yeah. adds for me that it's less distortion and a different maybe a fresher sound i remember really enjoying that at the time yeah it, it, it might have come out uh, a little bit too early it's like the world was not yeah, really maybe. ready for this yeah. um yeah. this kind of mix but um i do remember that speaking of iron maiden what i liked really much about somewhere in time when I heard it the first time and also when I just heard it before we started recording here is that the soundscape have kind of, I don't know, there's just something about the tones that yeah. makes it, um, you, you can hear one second from any song from that record and you hear it somewhere in time. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It, it's something I like about Moon Tower is that it's maybe not the best production, but it sounds like Moon Tower. And I did no other record that sounds like it. And, I don't think anyone else did. It's got this kind of cold, icy, but not in this yeah. black metal vibe, but it's it's got a, a special vibe to it. And um, I think it's pretty cool. And that's also what I enjoy with some other albums out there that I like Merciful Fate, have a couple, and also Judas Priest. Yeah. It's just the sound works so well together with the material. So when I hear it on like a live album or whatever, it sounds completely strange because usually they don't get that kind of production values to right. work then. I think uh, yeah. with Priest, everyone is raving about the live versions of those songs from Sin After Sin, for example, but I much prefer the original sound of Sin After Sin. Uh, yeah. I really like the sound of that album with Simon Phillips on the drums and super open. It sounds very, very open. Yeah, and it's um, for me, it's, it, I, I don't like Unleashed in the East. I don't think there's anything on it that is better than than what's on the studio albums and and it might have something to do with the fact that I didn't really have it and listen to it during my Judas Priest craziness days I, I've actually yeah. heard it a lot later because both my brothers they are older than me 10 and 16 years older they were super mega priest fans and they told mm -hmm. me that they were so disappointed when it came out and wasn't a double album like they had in, you know everyone released double albums you know yeah, yeah, but Kiss it was alive, a, right. yeah, Alive too, and then all their other favorite bands too. And when it came out, and and it was a single album, and they didn't really like it. It just kind of they blocked it out. <laughs> so I was not yeah. as introduced to that record as I was to all the other ones. And um, okay. I tried to listen to it a little bit on Spotify a couple of years back, but yeah, there are some. I like Les Bink's drum playing. He does some really cool stuff. Yeah. On Victim of Changes, I think, is something that could be considered uh, okay compared to the original because the drumming on that one is, is extremely boring on the original version, but the rest of the song is so good, 
you don't really care. But once you start to focus on how the drummer play on that same crash cymbal on every start of the beat of Victim of Changes, you cannot listen to it again. Sorry for ruining it, but <laughs> it's just something I started. It's like, this guy had one cymbal and is hitting it on every, and it's like, will he ever stop? You know, it's just like the producer yeah. told him, play this pattern just over and over and over again. And um, I hear that sometimes when, when you hear the drummer is not really playing what he wants to play. He's playing what someone mm -hmm. told him to play. Then they start playing super boring and robotic, you know, and I think... That's for right. me, it's one of the flaws of Sadwings of Destiny, that the drumming is a little bit too held back, while Les Binks, he really adds some kind of fusion flavor uh, to these yeah. earlier stuff. So that, that's kind of cool. He's a cool drummer. He's also the drummer on Roger Glover's uh, kind of uh, fairy tale project, uh, Butterfly Ball, I think. Yeah, I, I heard uh, about it, but I never listened to it. But I, I think it's I should interesting at album. some point. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, like uh, you don't have young kids anymore, but it's a it's like young kid compatible. It's this story about it's this fable, you know, about this. Ah, okay, uh, okay, cool. Yeah, all the all the animals in the forest are supposed to have a party. <laughs> and I realize now, <laughs> okay. I realize now that we could do a complete Judas Priest uh, pod as well, but we're not going to do that. No, we're trying to head into our maiden here. And when we had this little pre-chat before this uh, recording, I asked you about. Uh, perhaps your connection with Maiden, aside from, I, I know you mentioned Somewhere in Time in a magazine as one of your favorites. Yeah. And then I remember that old Power Slave reference from, from that release gig in Örebro. Mm -hmm. But uh, <laughs> then, then you told me that you, you were actually never really that big in, into our Maiden, but you had your own little angle on it. And that's why we decided to name this episode AOR Maiden. <laughs> so I, <laughs> guess, cool. so I yeah. guess we have to kind of uh, answer the question first, just for order. What is AOR? Yeah, it's. Uh, I've read a lot of different, but I think it's it's like album-oriented rock. Is yeah. uh, what what I have seen, yeah. uh, and some say adult-oriented rock because only gro yeah. grown-ups listen to it. Yeah, and uh, it's often also people think that an A and R artist and repertoire person from a label is the AOR person, and it's oh, like yeah, hey, what guy. you know. <laughs> So, no, no, that's you. Not, you, yeah. you are the AOR person. I am the AOR guy, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, actually, I was introduced to it as adult-oriented rock, and I found it very fun. Yeah. You know, this kind of, uh, I don't know, dinner party rock or something. You put on Boston. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and you open a bottle of red wine. I do like <laughs> some AOR, actually. I like Boston. I like uh, some Journey stuff. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, maybe underrated, especially in my generation, you could say, because when I was starting with sound and music in the late 90s, early 2000s, Everything was supposed to be so dry. Mm -hmm. Everything was supposed to be completely devoid of, you know, room and reverb sounds. But I always liked that kind of. I, I, I always, I was always leaning back a bit towards the '80s and that type of sound. So, uh, but then of course I wanted it a bit heavier. So I think Moon Tower was a good, good compromise for me. Yeah, uh, in, in was... those years. But uh, but yeah, Iron Maiden. Anyway, your brothers they were not into Maiden. Um, um, funny story actually. My oldest brother Ingald. He bought the Soundhouse tapes straight mm -hmm. from Steve Harris. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And he gave it to me as a confirmationspresent. I don't really know what that is. In, uh, it's like you, you do this, uh, you go to the, like it's by the church, like a communion thing. You spend a couple of weeks and pretending you're a Christian and then you have a party and get a lot of <laughs> gifts. Yeah, exactly. Around 14. Yeah. It's actually just, in English, it's just, it is called confirmation. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a magical uh, thing for your grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> for me, yeah, because exactly. I, I remember I got uh, Santa's tapes. I got a 
a Peister 2002 crash symbol and a boom stand oh, great. and a camera. So for me, it's like, woohoo. Um, great haul. Great yeah, haul. Yeah, I was actually, um, when it comes to the whole Iron Maiden thing, it was always friends of mine that were into Maiden from really, really early times. I remember seeing the albums in people's collections, but as, you know, I, I have some kind of, what you call this, uh, com compulsive disorder or whatever, or HD, H blah, blah, you know, that I focus extremely much on only one thing. And that's the whole yeah. thing. And it's some kind of disease, I guess, with how... Or just a personality. Really. Yeah, like, just a personality. exactly, <laughs> focus. I liked only Kiss. You know, I had uh, uh, okay. a denim jacket with only Kiss patches and Kiss buttons. No other band was good enough until I discovered uh -huh. Judas Priest. Then I took all the Kiss stuff away, sold it, and then it was <clears> the same <throat> denim jacket, but only Judas Priest everywhere. Nothing else, right. you know? And coming off this Judas Priest worship, I... Um, guess Iron Maiden was then the next thing or probably the last time when I um, I got kind of bitten by the bug of the whole experience. I remember just having all of a sudden there was Iron Maiden posters all over my room mm -hmm. from the magazine OK and also any, any clipping I could find and I was just like completely absorbed into the world of Iron Maiden and I honestly didn't really care too much about the music beyond that of Somewhere in Time, especially the more Adrian Smith-like stuff. But I was, I was a super Iron Maiden fan for, I don't know, six months. I had, had all, like I said, Thanos tapes. I had the Running Free book. I had the VHS from that early gig with the Yano on vocals. I was just totally worshipping. I had my father do uh, a blue... A sweatshirt with the Iron Maiden logo, but where Iron is over Maiden, because I, th I thought it looked cooler. And, uh, you know, all that was just like, Iron Maiden, wow! And um, then, I don't know, six months later, some other band came and just kind of, then it was not Iron Maiden anymore, and then maybe it was Dio, mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't remember. It was, I was just going from this one total focus, and then another band, and the other one, I didn't care. They released a new album. I don't care because I am yeah. not into them anymore, you know? And and right. later I mellowed out and, and became a little bit more open and didn't like worship the band as, as a thing, you know? With Dio, I even tried to look like Winnie Appice, I remember, buying <laughs> the same clothes and stuff, you know? This is not healthy, you know? But um, <laughs> I, I didn't try to look like Nico McBrain. The, the, but I, I once uh, was told that I played a bit like Clive Barr and okay. um, I thought that was really, really cool because I always thought he was cooler than Nico. But I realize now that Nico is a really good drummer. Uh, yeah. But he shows I mean, it for uh, like, uh, he, his, his really his technique and all that is just a little bit on peace of mind. And then it's like, okay, now you had your moments. Now just play what I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> kind of Maybe vibe, so, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Last week, uh, last week's episode, we had a drummer on, and we talked a lot about the, comparing the two, Clive Burr and, and Nico McBrain, and it's really hard to choose. I think they have really different qualities. I think Nico is more like a, a little bit more um, maybe airborne in his playing. He doesn't sound so grounded or rooted, whereas uh, Clive is much more, you know, uh, this straight eight note or sixteen note uh, snare fills, and then not even hitting the crash after, just straight back to hi hat. Yeah, 
they it, have it sounds really cool. Little quirks. Yeah, but you also never know really how how he was supposed to play according to himself. Because right. from what I've heard, Steve Harris is very very into um what should be played. And I know there was this um the beginning of Peace of Mind that that, that oh, he, yeah. he told Nico, Oh, you can you play something here, you know, to open. You're the new drummer, you know. The stage is yours, and he apparently played super complicated jazz fusion stuff. <laughs> and uh -huh. and Steve was all the time like, no, no. And then, can you not play something like, okay, he played that. Oh, that's great. And <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the intro. So, But, you know, the the I think I could practice for like six weeks and still not be able to play the drum pattern from Where Eagles There. That yeah. is just like insane. And yeah. and uh, I don't know which which arm is playing what at what time, and also the timing is extremely good. It's like in the pocket, like Jeff Porcaro, and it's just like okay, I'm watching TV and playing a bit of drums here. You know, it's like oh, and I wish that they could have done a little bit more like that, allowed him to to play a little bit looser in, in some some points. It's very like okay let's focus on other things than the drums, you know, but, but I really remember, wow, that's a complex, almost like Simon Phillips ish drum yeah. beat, you know, I like that. There's so many stories surrounding it. I think Bruce was getting involved as well. He said that he came into the picture and, and told him like, uh, try something like Stargazer, uh, you know, the, the, the rainbow song, <laughs> which, yeah. uh, which has a uh, cozy Powell on it. And uh, cozy Powell also reminds me in parts of, of Clive Burr, actually, the way the, the kind of powerful uh, kind of uh, disciplined uh, drum beats in a sense, you know, whereas Nico maybe is a bit more wild, but uh, I have a little clip here from um, one of the, one of the numbers that we discussed before. So let's see if you, if you recognize this one. version of that girl. Then uh, this was the Iron Maiden version that yeah. I played off of YouTube, uh, but I haven't heard even the original. Uh, but I, I remember you mentioned it when we when we were planning uh, recording. Uh, I checked that out uh, before, and it is so the version Iron Maiden play is the original that Andy goes to Canada, like they were called at the time. Uh, mm. The one that's played on this entire population of Hackney thing and all that is that girl, and that's also how Pete Jupp, uh -huh. the drummer from FM, played it with Dave Colville and Dave Lloyd and this in this band. So uh -huh. what, what Maiden did is the original version. And then oh, I didn't they, they, they took this song because Pete Jupp um, took this track when the Overland brothers joined and they s renamed themselves to FM. 
And then the brothers, uh, the Overland brothers, reworked the song. It's like, oh, we have this old one here, you know, and they created then this new kind of AOR version of that girl. And okay. I think it took me, I don't know, years to understand it was the same song. They are so, hmm. like, there's nothing like the, the intro from the Maiden is superb. No. It's like the, yeah. the, the guitar so harmony nice. there. This, this have colored my playing of guitar so much, the simple notes rather than doing something flashy you have then this a little bit of chorus on the guitar or and it's like yeah so much my kind of guitar playing come from this how adrian smith play on these kind of songs and when you hear the fm version it's completely different they have a very yeah. cool uh, clean guitar riff like bram bram that is the thing you know it's like completely rewritten and i would say the one thing that they haven't changed is actually the lyrics that's where okay. I, at some point, long, long after I kind of lost interest in Maiden and had joined in on the FM, I think, that girl, I think I know that, that's so weird that they have a song called That Girl also, because it's not really like Rock in the Night or whatever, you know, it's like very specific yeah. and strange title. So for me, it's just like Strange Ways had a song called Love Lies Dying, and so did FM. But it is not the same song. Yeah. They had also on the other side of midnight, I think, an FM too, and also not the same song. So I thought, oh, it's just some some English thing. They steal each other's titles, and <laughs> and that's that, you know. But then later, it's like, wow. And when I really listen, I, I think they're actually, for me, FM is better. But these versions, they both exist with pretty much the same kind of quality in each universe there there is um it's a really it's li almost like the fm version is like one of those really clever remake remixes that i have done myself of like shake the disease from the pesh mode or like i did in the heat of the night with sandra that's kind of mm -hmm. what fm did with the maiden version they took it ran with it but kept the lyrics and um made it even hookier and the whole part where that girl you know that's that's gone in the fm they go straight to uh -huh. that girl and make it super hooky mm -hmm. and so it's it's like hmm but but that one really definitely uh the sound of that song and also reach out is yeah. is yeah. Uh, magical to me and did you have the 12 inch uh, singles back back in the yeah. back in 86 that was uh, my first Iron Maiden purchase. I still remember it to this day for some strange reason. I okay, bought cool. Stranger in a Strange Land 12-inch vinyl, I think pretty much when it came out. Because um, I think Wasted Years was released before the album came out. And maybe yeah. also Stranger. I'm not sure or if it I came think Stranger out was, later. was or after. Yeah. I think it was after. They usually do that one, one, one ahead and then one like coming in after. Because I, I remember hearing Wasted Years and Reach Out. Um, and I think it was my friend Axel Statin. We were like best buddies around this time. And he was a huge Iron Maiden fan. And I was mm -hmm. a huge Judas Priest fan. And we actually made a school work together about Judas Priest that I still have, which is pretty funny. It was like the first time <laughs> I used a computer with a printer because uh -huh. his father was some kind of uh, computer wizard for uh, what is now known as Siemens. So he had a computer in like, I don't know, 86. It was like, whoa. Yeah. Was it so, like black, black screen and, and green, green fonts? 
Yeah, yeah, it was was magical and, and big like a yeah. fucking refrigerator, but it was it was really cool. And I still have yeah. it, and I cut out pictures from OK of Judas Priest and this and that. And it was sometime during this this uh, school work that um, he just played me that stuff. He knew that I kind of didn't care that much for I I'm, I am still in some ways a musical snob, but when you grow up on the kind of music I grew up on. Hearing some of the Iron Maiden stuff isn't as fantastic as if you were like not listening to music and then you hear Iron Maiden, you know? I mm -hmm. listened to progressive rock when I was seven, eight. And I'm not yeah. like saying this to be better than anyone. It's just that's the way my brother raised me. There was a yeah. mix of, of the early progressive hard rock and the progressive rock. And that was it, you know? I didn't really know. I knew a little bit like Ramones. You know, that was very different. But with the Iron Maiden thing, it wasn't really until I heard those two songs that it clicked for me. And I didn't understand at the time why, you know, but it was just like, whoa, this is so good. This is like this other kind of some of the stuff that my brother recorded for me is something I refer to as post-prog. It's when the progressive rock bands try to be more commercial. They still more have these, the values of the old progressive that the song necessarily doesn't have to be three minutes, can be five, mm -hmm. or you can do weird tunings or have intros and, you know. But there is something definitely different about Wasted Years and also Reach Out. And the fact that Reach Out is like a major key, it's like a really positive, happy yeah. song. Yeah. And of course, Bruce Dickinson is not singing lead on it. And that was nope. really what, like, whoa, this this is different, you know. And uh, yeah. Really good yeah, stuff. No. Uh, considering your profession with uh, mixing and uh, previously also recording music, uh, I wanted to touch on the on the production on, on on this album because I think it's one of the best out there. I really, it's a, for me, it's very inviting sound. When, for example, in this intro to to that girl, I really it it hooks me up very quickly and brings me to this space world, you know, yeah, this futuristic Iron Maiden space world. But also, it's not harsh. No, it's very it's, smooth, it's very uh, very. Um, it's not a lot of, of deep bass going on. It's also not really a lot of high treble, but it's all very mid-rangey and uh, surprisingly smaller than Number of the Beast and some other stuff. I was doing some Spotify flicking here just before the mm -hmm. interview, mm -hmm. and uh, it sounds a little bit smaller. I'm not really sure why, but it's uh, the guitar sound is very small, but it's also, like you said, not harsh at all. So you hear every thing you play doesn't matter if it's like a big six string ringing chord or just some little nuance you, you hear them it's all very focused on that mid mid-range area which, which yeah. gives it a special sound um i'm always wondering if it's really even a guitar amp sometimes or one of those rockman <laughs> things that was really popular around the time that ended up on hysteria from def leppard that's, that's a, also a good connection to AOR because Rockman was a company founded by uh, Schultz from uh, from Boston. Yeah, exactly. And that that kind of um, I don't know if they experimented. I mean, they experimented with guitar synthesizers, so it meant yeah. that they were open for what's new, you know, in the studio world. As, ah, this thing you can just connect straight to the console, and I'm not saying that it isn't an amp. I just listened to it now and. Um, it sounds very studio. It's a very yeah, yeah. recording sounding record, and I love that. I hate it when the albums sound like someone put a few microphones up in the rehearsal room 
and you know i just love the the soundscape that that yeah. is that is there and um uh, especially a stranger in a strange land have oh, yeah. this um magical bit also where, where you can properly hear the kind of pad sound from the guitar yeah. synthesizer which is extremely cool and and also the way he kind of lay out these special guitar chord voicings i i, I don't know it was yeah. there there's the second verse from flight of icarus is the first time when this ever happened in an iron maiden song that i know of you know this special kind of voicing you just i don't know it's very jazz fusiony toto kind of thing to do it's very on the metal there's an f sharp some kind of like a yeah, strumming yeah, yeah, strain yeah. and, and it's not there in the first oh this is this is kind of boring but then <laughs> when this happens and i just love that kind of playing and it's inspired me a lot in in my own writing to have this kind of melodic chording it's yeah. like because i grew up playing piano this is uh, what you do a lot you keep something going on the left hand and then you have your five fingers or at least four that you play with and then you can just kind of find interesting voicings and just let them under the vocal you know they're not like vocal and then you have a melody and then you have vocal no you have this kind of chord melody thing underneath yeah. the vocal that it's not at all in the way you know it's just widening what you thought was like an e major turn into ah it's something there up on like a seventh or a nine huh that's that's the harmonic yeah. you know but you don't find out until in the second verse or whatever i love that kind of stuff so i think for me the first adrian smith song that hooked me was uh, flight of icarus it's really mm -hmm. really cool song actually this goes back to where we began talking about the HM2 pedal, because this is like opposite of HM2, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is what you actually absolutely cannot really do with an HM2 playing no. on all the strings. And, and I was inspired perhaps a little bit by albums like uh, Moon Tower, Opeth stuff as well, to, to really use the whole guitar, even when I play riffs or with distortion, and add these kind of sus2, sus4, yeah. uh, nines and stuff. And, and also, of course, Adrian Smith, um, to a large extent. And I think it's... It's just layering, really, you know, layering up the music. And as you said, more, maybe more of a studio sound, more of a song, song in mind rather than performance in mind, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And there's also more chorus on the guitar than on all 70s yes. records combined. So <laughs> yeah. that, that's just like what gives me that kind of it is recorded, it is produced. It's, it's yeah. the, the clever use of, of that kind of integration of of chorus and delays and reverbs and just kind of building little soundscapes and yeah. the, the good thing is that they did not like many other bands fall into the trap of using like simmons drums or record the drums first and the cymbals later and all that kind of crap right. which yeah. was a big yeah. thing around that time there are some albums in my collection i just cannot listen to anymore because yeah, it's even, either uh they recorded the drums in a couple of different sessions uh, and there was no beat detective back then so it's like nothing is syncing up or yeah. they have this yeah. uh, simmons or d drums or you know doo, 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 doo. Uh, okay yeah. that's the snare drum nice <laughs> and um, it's still very 70s sounding drums with just like kind of gated reverb uh, i don't yeah. i think it's probably one of those uh, famous uh, inverse 
from either a lexicon or it's, you know, some digital reverbs of the era, they had this non-linear sound, which is kind of a kind of a reverb that kind of stops in the middle and pull itself back. So it just kind of stops. It's not really a gated reverb. And I think one of the most um, special places is on the beginning of Awake from Dream Theater. You can hear this kind of okay. weird, very artificial sounding. No room in the world sounds like that. And this is yeah. a little bit the, the snare on Somewhere in Time. You have that kind of... Yeah. It's like an added mechanic noise to it. But the yeah. toms and the kick and all this, they are sometimes a little bit too natural for my taste. I wish I wish there was a little bit more oomph sometimes in some of the, mm -hmm. the lower toms. They sound more like, okay, what happened there, you know? <laughs> but uh, I don't think you were around anymore in the Maiden Camp in 2000 when Brave New World came out, but that one really has, uh, the, it's kind of the first uh, Maiden album with that type of drum production with super punchy yeah. uh, snare snare and, and toms. And it's even rumored that it's a sample mixed uh, snare and kind of sounds like it but then done very well in that case yeah i, I still uh, think the kick drum is sample it's a kevin charlie thing yeah. could be yeah and yeah. also i wanted to add on 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 the guitar sound for a summer in time that the, the, there was you're you're on the right path because they actually switched from tube amp to solid state <laughs> for that one for yeah. the first time and they had these gallon kruger mini amps ah okay really, yeah that's yeah. true and, and my friend bought one and I tried it and it really did sound like uh, Summer in Time. There's an inbuilt chorus, which I'm not sure ah, if that's what they used. Shit. I think we had one but of those in Musik Bursen when I worked there. Uh, actually, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a Gallien trigger with some buttons you could push or knobs or whatever with kind of... Yeah, it's true. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I like... I've always been a more of a solid state or guitar pedal rig guy. You know, I like to have a preamp plugged into a power amp rather than this old school Marshall top type situation. Uh, I know some guitarists that really, you know, they rely on having the Gibson Marshall sound. You know, they, they rely on that kind of scrapey rawness. But I like more of a recorded type sound that sounds good in headphones when I play guitar. Yeah. So for I was, me, it's also closer to home. Yeah, I was always there uh, trying to experiment. Um, but there was one one um, moment where I just tried to not use a Marshall and a vintage cab for like the, the the basic sound of the guitar, and I remember buying some really fancy art preamp. Art was like an American company, yeah. I think, huh? had like a it could do anything. They said you had all the effects in the world. There was a tube in there for the like the preamp section, and I remember I think I was going to record the Melissa cover version that I did, uh, the Merciful Fate song. Yeah. I was like, oh, now I have this this um, thing here. This uh, It's like the size of a camper almost. And um, all these knobs, and I plugged it into a power amp and then through a vintage cabinet. And I just remember fiddling about, and it just sounded really weird. And I, I thought, this is costing like thousands of euros. I bought it secondhand, but it was expensive. I think, why is it sounding like shit? And I just remember putting the, the GCM 800 head back, connecting it to the amp and just plugging my BC Rich with EMG straight in. It's like, oh, and it was like 85% more frequencies than what came <laughs> out of that little thing. It, it had like, I don't know, it was no bass, no mids, no treble. So it was just like nothing. It was super weird. And, and I did the same thing when the pod came out, the very first pod. 
and the red uh, bean. Yeah, 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 all those ones. Yeah. Oh, you listen to it in headphones at work, and you sit and play, and all oh, is fantastic. And I, I think we were doing some nightingale stuff or whatever. Said, so, no, we're not going to use the Marshall today. We're going to use this one, and we connected it, and it was just like. When are the guitars coming in? This sounds like something else, like, I don't know, yeah. guitars on a synth or something. And we did the same thing. Oh, fuck that shit. We connected to the Marshall amp and bam, that was the, the sound, you know? It's, it's really, yeah. really hard to replace. And I know that people tried to get the best of both worlds. And when you look into the Steve Luthaker and Michael Landau and all that stuff, they had an effects rig and they had a clean amp rig. So right. they used the effects in like the similar setup, but they never messed with kind of the basic sound. And I thought about that a lot of times. So I started really adding a lot of effects to what I heard when I recorded. So uh, I wanted that kind of sound. I would just do a stereo chorus and a big reverb and a big panning delay or whatever on my monitor. But I was only recording a really dry kind of mic'd up tube amp. And that helped, you know, because sometimes when that shit is coming out, together with the guitar tone out of out of the the vintage thing into the microphone it, it gets a little bit um behind the speaker so to speak it, it it's hard yeah. to to get that kind of directness and god i have experimented like an idiot with connecting shit through the loop of that marshall yeah. you know i had a really strange setup for a while and then i remember just kind of playing and bending a note and i heard this sound when you're working on old radio and you cannot find the frequency you know <laughs> so i played a bending note and in the background was like what the fuck oh, yeah. is that i'm playing one <laughs> note here and the amp is playing eight more notes and then i just yeah. ripped the, the the chords that connected all my digital effects of the 80s 90s and there was only one note again i was like what just happened? And then it's this aliasing and bit rate, you know, all that kind of shit because the preamp oh. went out through like four AD converters back into the power amp. And then mm -hmm. I learned a lesson about digital stuff in the hard rock guitar world. Hmm, that's why they have mixers and do this one effects yeah. setup. And it's just like too many AD conversion of your actual sound you know it, it sounded right. horrible and there are some records from the 80s where the guitar sound is kind of somewhere in time ish but it sounds terrible really yeah. really mm -hmm. necro but in a wrong <laughs> way you know in the wrong way yeah i think uh martin birch is uh, fam famous for being a bit of a master of the mid-range and i i'm quite jealous with that i i also dabble with the mixing and recording and i feel like i'm always a bit scared of the mid-range that's where it's harsh for me, you know, the kind of um, high mid at least. So I, I I don't scope things, but I still scope them way more than than uh, than Birch. And if you listen to isolated guitar tracks from from the '80s made and stuff, they're quite harsh actually. They are not so smooth, but in the mix they sit really well with yeah. with this really mid-oriented sound. And then obviously, as you said, Steve doesn't have much sub bass, if any. No, th there is really, either. I think the only bass on an Iron Maiden record should come a little bit from the kick drum. It's yeah. the same like when you listen to moving pictures from Rush. Uh -huh. There is absolutely no bass frequency except from the kick. It's got this yeah. massive almost rap 808 kind of weight to it. Uh, but when you turn off your subwoofer, it's just like, oh, nothing changed except that from the kick. So that's how yeah. they did it sometimes. They just kind of went for, for the... I mean, 
the fact is, if you if you look at the DI from an electric guitar, all the frequencies that we normally scoop out, those are the ones that actually contain notes on a guitar. And if you're old right. school, it makes no sense to cut out four and five hundred hertz on a rhythm guitar because that's where a lot of the the voicings and, and the actual notes are. So what yeah. you get when you when you scoop that stuff out is you 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 boost all the stuff where there is nothing, and you get this kind of weird uh, kind of bass rumble and some kind of screechy hissing sound. And this is also with the bass guitar. You have certain areas where the bass sounds really bad when it's a bad bass and a bad amp, but when yeah. you really get the best kind of stuff together, also this region of sound, which is in the mid mid range, this is a really hard thing to to uh, to master, and I I deal with it all the time because that's where the notes are coming. That's where you get some kind of action Music. going. Yeah, yeah. And but when you scoop everything, all all you are left with is the the kind of areas where the instruments really don't have any natural power. So uh, yeah. it's it's really the subs and, and and the highs. So I think what makes the maiden sound work is also that you have to divide the mid range into low mid range, mid mid range, and high mid range, and that's where you could kind of put the guitars a little bit more in that kind of between low mid range and mid mid range. That's where you focus the guitar. Mm -hmm. They are like little balls, and then you have a yeah. little bit higher up. You have Steve Harris bass clanking sound around yeah, between eight hundred. Yeah, right. so it's yeah. like you you see like it's almost like on a timeline. Okay, there's the power of the the kick drum. Here's the snare drum. There you have the guitars. There you have the bass. Here are the vocals. So the way the old school guys did, often in those little auratone speakers that had no bass and also really no treble. All you could do to make sure that someone with a pretty crappy hi-fi setup at home with like a one speaker, you know, taking care of all frequencies is to make yeah. sure that everything is heard with that narrow bandwidth. Also like this, uh, they call it the old kitchen radio. That was a popular thing yeah. for the American housewives <laughs> when they were cooking. So if it sounded good on that one, you know, and they were singing along, you had a hit, you know. So yeah. yeah. That that's really what Martin Birch was really really good at was dealing with the mid range and then whatever happened, like above eight nine k and maybe below a hundred even, that's just yeah. kind of what you choose on your high fee. You know, do a little bit tweaking. It's not gonna be like oh I hear no cymbals when I do this or I hear no bass guitar when I do this. You always hear them. You could you could yeah. listen to Iron Maiden songs in like a, an older smartphone speaker in mono, and you would still just yeah. go ah cool two minutes yeah. to midnight and just yeah. like the song. You know what I mean? While there are some yeah. records you would hear, so what is it's, go, it's broken? What's going on here? You know, it's cause it's just just like a mess of yeah. strange mid range. But when when you listen in, in in like a super full hi-fi headphone or whatever, you have all that super low bass and all that crispy top end to kind of make it work, you know. But um, yeah. it was different. Yeah, and I remember when I was uh, younger and was still in the times of really really crappy phone uh, um, phone speakers. It was an old Ericsson pre-smartphone, and I remember we had small a small after party listening to uh, Summer in Time. On that on that phone, uh, and it proves it proves your theory because we still had a good time, you know. Yeah, this is uh, so. Yeah, 
I was living at my parents, so we were sitting in the little patch of woods outside, <laughs> listening on on that shitty phone, <laughs> and, you, you know, and you still would you still would get the vibe. Yeah, I have um, this sometimes. I, uh, even still, you know, we we have this uh, kind of mid-range Samsung TV. It's big as hell, but not really all that good because you, mm-hmm. you see weird stripes and shit on it. And it's just like, it looks cooler than it is kind of TV for like 2,000 euros or something. And sometimes we, we just, uh, you know, there come some kind of commercial or whatever. And I just say, wow, that's an awesome full orchestra sound or what an awesome acoustic guitar sound or whatever. And then you realize you're listening to some fucking almost non-speaker coming out of a TV. Who the yeah. fuck mixed this thing? You know, who is this genius? Because yeah. th- that's always like, wow. Sometimes the crappiest fucking TV set or whatever, just the greatest sound come out. One of my yeah. favorite guitar tones of all time is from a beer commercial that they sadly, <laughs> uh, they, they stopped airing it now, but it's been on since I met my wife like 15 years ago. And it was like Kronbacher and they were filming some nice <laughs> typical Bayerish kind of you know, from the air. And, and that kind of guitar tone, it's a bit like that, that girl sound. Right, but yeah. imagine it with more single coil and not so much distortion. It's like okay. as epic as that fucking valley they show with the water and the mountains and the beer <laughs> bottle, you know? I said, that's yeah. the best guitar tone I've ever heard in my life. And it's coming out of a fucking TV. And in those <laughs> days, we still had this big ass TVs, you know, the deep ones. I said, huh, who the fuck makes that guitar sound? It's like... Huh? Some guys are just like unsung heroes, you know? Yeah. You see yeah. sometimes, oh, it's now New Year's Eve, it's only 800 people on stage. And some ass face is mixing that shit to sound balanced live in my TV. And it's like, yeah. uh, I would just get panic and run away, you know? So, it's oh, it's more than four people on stage, I'm out, you know? That's... That kind of reminds me of, um, I was... Li- uh, a lot of streamed content like a Netflix and that kind of stuff is so poorly mixed. So because if, if you're not watching it on us with a surround system, you know, the dialogue is really soft and anything that you know, any sort of act, action is, you know, you're, you're constantly lo- you know, right, raising and lowering the volume uh, yeah. because it's just so poorly, you know, it just seems so poorly mixed for the, it's, it's, it's basically you made it to, you know, watch on a, you know, pretty expensive sound system. I imagine it probably sounds great then, but if you're just watching on TV, you know, it, sucks it's very common too when you're in studios uh, and the mix sounds amazing in the studio with that room regulated room uh, acoustically regulated good mm. uh, maybe a couple of big big ass genelex or something and it sounds killer but then it doesn't really translate and i think they should maybe listen to don's favorite beer commercial <laughs> get, get some inspiration there because mid mid is important and i think maybe also with these netflix productions that you watch maybe they they went for a fat sound and they yeah, kind of scoped the mid out a little bit and then they lost the actual information. In, in, this case, the, in this case, the dialogue. I think what is the big difference is that when you actually make a movie and you mix mm-hmm. it as a, at, at a sound stage where you mix movies, you have this super everything 10.2 or whatever they have and yeah. it's actually a cinema plus studio and they make sure that it's keeping all those uh, specific dB levels for the subs can be 90 or, you know, whatever. There are rules. But I don't think many of the Netflix, you know, this news was like straight to video. Now it's straight to Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really see that happening too much, that they spend like 
2,000 euros per day to mix the sound of this new Syria or whatever. And oh, I think they right. just kind of do it in whatever sound edit room they have for the budget. And that's that, you know. And I used to listen to a lot of movie sound in uh, my incredibly expensive in-ears that I bought like, I don't know, eight years ago or whatever. And when you were, I was flying a lot in this time and it was so great because they are completely shutting you off the world because you had to, to send them a mold of your inner ear, you know, to, to oh, America. Wow. And then they made them especially for your ear canals. And these guys play from any hertz to any other hertz in the other direction. And you just use it to, to watch movies on your, on your laptop because mixing yeah. music didn't really work. But um, that was really nice for info, for entertainment. And there you could really hear the difference if it was a good guy or a bad guy who did it because all the weird panning and you hear now the footsteps are in mono but the rest <laughs> of the ambient sounds are in stereo you know and all these explosions uh -huh. and this and that so th there's just like uh, music mixing you have your chris lord algae guys for making movie sound <laughs> and then you have your yeah. other guys <laughs> i don't want to mention <laughs> really? any names but uh you know <laughs> they're not so good yeah. ones yeah, yeah. not so good ones and I thought that on, on the topic of AR Maiden, we have a few songs that we kind of circled. We have the Wasted Years with Reach Out uh, and then the Stranger in a Strange Land with That Girl. Um, perhaps also Juanita, I don't know. It's on my 12-inch anyway. Uh, yeah, I remember I, not, not being such a fan of that one. I don't know, it was a little bit uh, up-tempo and also the Sheriff of Huddersfield. I didn't That's really care for it because it was, it was more of a funny <laughs> song somehow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but and, uh, uh, what else uh, do we have other Iron Maiden originals you mentioned uh, Can I Play With Madness as yeah well? definitely kind of I listened to yeah. that one uh, just like an hour ago also and it's um, also a fantastic the, song also the way also how they, this guitar melody is going on underneath the vocal on, on the chorus it's also something that's mm -hmm. more in these days, also, but now there's like a cookie monster growling on top, and then there is like a melody <laughs> guitar plus a riff. And that's like what your song, Uncreation yeah, from Exactly. Tower. exactly. Yeah. You, you have this kind of, you need something to take the role of a lead vocal harmony, but you cannot not have a riff behind, you know? So yeah. that yeah. was uh, something that struck me a little bit. And yeah, I love that. It's like Adrian Smith's vision of iron yeah. maiden and and you you feel it somehow that, that i read a little bit about the history of um of that girl and reach out and all that and it seems that he tried to get them on the record to spice things mm, up really? a little bit but wow. steve harris didn't like them so he wrote wasted years and that one he liked yeah. That's what I saw in some YouTube comment or whatever. And it's like, hmm, that makes kind of sense, you know, because they ended up as B-sides, but wasted years, even like the first single in an eternal classic. So yes. when someone is held back a little bit by a stronger personality in the band with stronger authority, but I didn't really care that much for Adrian Smith and Project when I listened to it, because that was, mm. no one was pulling him back. He was no, just like right. all in, you know? And I thought that tension between him and Steve Harris and trying to keep one foot in the Maiden camp and still, you know, slowly expand. And will he notice that I do this nice chord inversion here? Maybe he, he yeah. go out, play football, I do my guitars and he will never notice, you know, that kind of, <laughs> I like that in bands. So yeah. some of my uh, favorite songs yeah. and eras 
from bands are the wrong ones, according to the diehard fans. Right. I always like that record where that guy is on vocals or they don't have that guy there anymore. Or even worse, when the band became another band with almost the same members. I like that one much more than the so-called original. So yeah, yeah. I was always a little bit like, you know, I, I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, Iron Maiden fans and I've, I've, you know, both worked as a musician and also, um, you know, in the, in the shop where I sold equipment for 14 years. Uh, a lot of those years I worked with Per Fransson, who is uh, playing a guitar in an Iron Maiden cover band or tribute band. Hmm. I think they're called Stranger in a Strange Band oh. or something like that. Okay, cool. And he met Iron <laughs> Maiden on a couple of occasions and because he, he worshipped them also before they were famous again, yeah. so to speak. And he played Maiden all the time. He played the songs and uh, he he kind of kept me a little bit up to date also with what they were doing when Bruce came back. So I, I have heard the Wicker Man stuff and, and he played the mm. record all the time in the shop and said, yeah, it, it's there, you know, but he also had this fascination for Adrian Smith and the way he played and, and his, his kind of stuff there. So it's, um, it, it's really, yeah. I think you have an interesting point with the, with the tension in the band, but I'd like to kind of turn it, turn it towards you and see how it is when it's too close to home. Because when I, when I was a fan of your old band, I still am, but when I listened a lot to edge of sanity, I liked the tension that was in between you and dread on those albums because you really had completely two different visions uh, throughout throughout the 90s but was it as comfortable for you being inside of that or would you rather have had the full control instead of this kind of uh, battle of of uh, let's say battle of ideals or battle of aesthetics i think um yeah well what you hear is is um it's it wasn't never really like that but i guess in some ways i was trying to not go too far in one direction for a while yeah. you know trying to keep it i mean edge of sanity came out of of sounding one way from the very beginning and then we had very strict rules of what could be and not be in an edge of sanity song for a pretty long time and then that kind of exploded after the first album and when we started writing what would be on unorthodox one of the first things was a piano doom death ballad <laughs> which when all was, is said yeah, yeah one year ago i would have been shot if i even you know <laughs> mentioned yeah. something like that so <laughs> we we uh, matured very fast and uh, i think there there's very few edge of sanity songs that actually me and dread wrote together we were he brought a lot of ready songs and I brought a lot mm -hmm. of ready songs. But there was a time when we would comment and discuss and maybe mess around a little bit with each other's material. But that kind of ended really early. And by the time we, we came to Spectral Sorrows, it was just like, I have this song, you have that song, and let's just go with it. Because if I start messing around with your song, you will start messing around with my song, and I don't want that. So we just kind yeah. of let each other be. But... It was also. We do have crimson. We have crimson, right? Because that's still that uh, you're forced to kind of be in the same. Of course, it moves from from your parts to his parts. But I think that because that was my ticket into uh, actually um, to to your world at large was yeah. was crimson. I, I got it from an incredible bass player. It was a jazz fusion bass player, and he said like, "Yeah, check this out. It's a one song uh, melodic death metal or death metal, but with a lot of other other stuff in it." And I think that's where I kind of felt the. 
that there is this back and forth in between you as as writers as riff writers that i really dig i like it yeah and, uh, it would be interesting kind of sometimes to hear what you think might be one of his riffs because the way i remember it is that it's not that many things that he actually did write or okay. or sami also it's some of those more strange things those yeah, uh, I have one one example is la, da, 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 that, that's my riff it's your riff. Yeah, yeah, okay of course. Yeah. yeah then it's a different uh, story in my head yeah and they they wrote stuff like that's the riff and then there's a cello on top because oh, okay, i yeah, needed something to to be interesting and then there's some other kind of riff you know it's just like they they wanted something different and i i could have kept the first the first bit before the the song kind of becomes fast i could have done the mm -hmm. whole 40 minutes like that all right but they yeah. were like okay, when are we gonna play some metal and stop this fucking pink floyd shit and i was like oh they don't get it i don't want to play this kind of death metal i just want to be big and epic and never play fast like opeth but they had never heard opeth because nobody ever heard opeth except me and five mm -hmm. other guys yeah. Uh, because they never play fast, <laughs> you know. No, on no, They don't have a single. They don't have a single skank beat. I think you know the no, Slayer no, beat. Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, so I thought we could just do the same and totally rip them off. But luckily, I was kind of awoken from my weird opus dream, and all of a sudden we had written some of the fastest stuff, definitely the slowest stuff, and it was all happening organically and. Um, that yeah. was that was the in the, they had a big impact in in being like uh, to expanding crimson into what it is today. I wanted to make something that sounded like an Opeth Orchid record for forty minutes, but they made sure that there were a lot of other strange bits. And once you kind of broke out of that and and playing something that could have been on Purgatory or Spectre of Sorrows, it's like okay just do whatever let's have a gothic thing let's have a prog thing let's have this and doomiest we ever did blast beats black metal you name it just boof, open the floodgates yeah so um but a lot a lot of the riffs actually came from me playing my weird tuning guitar and um yeah then we made a part for the two guitars and also for the bass to kind of join in because when you sit it was the four of us and benny was away in the drum booth communicating via a microphone someone had to lead and they had no ideas they showed up to the studio and had written a few songs and i was like no we're recording we're, we're doing a one track 40 minute thing don't you remember oh, i thought no you didn't this is what we do now <laughs> this is what we told everyone we have one 40 minute song and then two songs you know but we recorded right. them anyway and they became uh, <laughs> murder divided and epidemic rain later on but oh, it's, Crimson good that, it's good that they're not good that they're not on the album and yeah. i think it, on that account it's, it's also the, good that's true the japanese version actually have a bonus track it's pretty yeah. anti-climactic right. <laughs> i would say the same about reach out and oh. and, and that girl yeah. good, really good songs but yeah. they shouldn't be on the album no, no. And i heard that uh, smith was even hesitant to bring in wasted years yeah. he said at, in, an, in a recent interview that he had this tape and it sounded he had a drum machine that he said sounded a bit like U2, Ooh. meaning it sounded crappy. <laughs> and, he, he, and he kind of wanted to, you know, yeah. fast forward past that on his on his Porta. But Steve stopped him. Uh -huh. like, hey, stop. That's interesting. And so, you know, I think the way Steve works is uh, 
absolutely emotional and physical. He's not really very theoretical or planning in his head. And when he hears something that resonates with him, then it's in, even if it's not not by him. Yeah. So I think that that's like a, that's part of the maiden a maiden ethic. I think and. Uh, he really liked Wasted Years, and obviously, uh, so does pretty much everybody else. It's definitely the biggest song of yeah. of that album. I think it's also a, a matter of being a more of a minor key for more than I mean, mm. Reach Out starts really major key. It's like yeah. super AOR. But imagine mm. when the intro from Wasted Years would be would have been voiced from the backing chord, like it like it was in a major key. It could be because you know you're playing this thing on the na 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 na. You could make it into a positive sounding, rather yeah. than this kind of I don't know. It's probably an E minor, but you could put like a G major on it, and then it you would could, work yeah. and be totally yeah. like. And then you go to a C major, and then you, you know have your AOR classic right there. Not saying that Wasted yeah. Years isn't, but there is this what I like to to describe as kind of a dark AOR minor yeah, key right. AOR. That's my favorite music style of all time. Mm. And that is... There we have it. <clears throat> like Separate Ways with Journey. Yeah, that song is great. It's it's big and bombastic and epic and it's got all those right fluffy elements to it, but it's sad. In some way, It's it's got that sadness to it. And when bands start to, to do too much of this C major, A minor, F g kind of let's get girls and have a hit single shit that's where i'm out you know i like it more yeah. also also that first fm yeah. record indiscreet is kind of a 50 50 between kind of that girl like songs and yeah. more like let's have hit singles and let's make totally standardized aor songs because there is a standard you you can just pretty much write 10 aor songs in an hour because it's just like oh it's just like some styles needs to be. I mean, I could, and I don't mean to offend anyone, but writing a traditional Iron Maiden song isn't that complicated because they have a formula. They have the yeah, A right. minor, the F sharp, and yeah. the G, and the twin yeah. thing. But take that extremely narrow rule book and do something really good with it. Like yes. the harmonies are amazing and they totally make you forget that you're using the same three chords, you know, as a backing or whatever. This is the thing. And I think I hear in Iron Maiden that that there are some tracks every now and then where they are actually breaking out of their own formula, like Run to the Hills, for example. It, it doesn't really yeah. have that traditional Maiden thing. And also, I think Number of the Beast, not really yeah. also. No, it even got that... Mm -hmm. <sighs> I don't really know the right word for that chord, but but you actually, it's like a normal power chord, but you move just your like uh, index finger one more, you, move down you know, the base, like the, right? I call yeah. it a broken chord or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like, yeah. hmm, that's the first time I ever heard Iron Maiden doing that, what I can remember, like six, 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 that's kind of, it's like a G, but it is not really yeah. because it's like this and I, the bass can I choose whatever root note or the, the other note. And that kind of stuff is what, when that's creeping in to Maiden, that's when I begin to think, hmm, they have this also, with, for example, ACDC, I love Touch Too Much, which is a very non-ACDC-ish song. And yeah. most diehards, oh, no, that's overproduced Mutland crap. Let's play high voltage or TNT. And so, hmm, you know, uh, let's yeah. have something solid <laughs> and mess with it a bit, like I did with the death metal genre. 
I just, yeah. I totally worshipped what it was for like four months. And I said, this is boring. <laughs> what we do now then with this thing? Yeah. Because we can. There are no rules really written yet with this genre. So we started messing about with it. And so did many other people all over the world. And we all ended up with these strange subgenres. But it's all about taking that very solid thing with a set rule book and burn that book, take the best bit of that whatever it is, certain beats you can play and you tune it down, you do it with a growling or whatever, and just fuck with it. And yeah. I like Iron Maiden the best when someone fuck with it, preferably Adrian Smith. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that yeah. in prior, like a band, you like when bands don't sound like themselves. Uh, so that, that was kind of a topic for today. You know, it, it sometimes it's a new member coming in or whatever. And, yeah. and sometimes I don't know that. I'm not like... Um, looking for like oh i like a 91 to 5 with jess much more than close to the edge that was not a plan of mine i just was at the right age when owner of a lonely heart came out hold yeah. on and cinema and all it's like wow and then you hear the early yes stuff i think what's going on here i don't like that at all <laughs> so Asia, way cooler than all the bands that all the members came from combined. And I would be shot in the head by most prog fans for saying that. Yeah. But sorry that I grew up on the first and second Asia record. That's it. What can I do? You know? Yeah. And that's what I love about is it's like, okay, guys, let's form a band now, but let's make sure that we can maybe be number one in America and sell 15 million copies but still be a bit prog, you know, best yeah. of both worlds. And and somehow yeah. I, I am drawn to that. And I think with Summer in Time, Maidens were beginning to break out a little bit of this kind of thing. And I think also that yeah. um, I don't listen much to, to the record that came after, but from what I heard, they kind of went full-blown with a theme album and, you know, yeah. really... It's my favorite yeah, album, yeah. Seventh Son, actually, the, the one after, because it's so much. I like that kind of, it's a lot. And it's 44 minutes, so it's quite tight as well. Really good sequencing, uh, classic album length. And yeah, I think, Eric, you wanted to add something maybe on that band sounding not like themselves type deal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was going to say, because I think that a lot of times you get people who, uh, no matter what a band does, there's always going to be people complaining one way or the other, because either either the new thing sounds you know too different than what they used to, or it's too similar. And I think it's I think it's also very fun when bands do something you don't expect from them, because you already have the old stuff. Uh, like for instance, there was a new towards the end of last year, there was a new Smashing Pumpkins album that came out that was very different from the one before then, and they got a lot of hate for that online. But I figure if you just want the old stuff, just listen to that. It's kind of cool when they, you know, move out of their you know com comfort zone and try something kind of yeah new. It's easy easy to get bored. I think if it's the same over and over. I think I'm similar to Don in this fashion. That for me, music was always about maybe trying to find the next step, or not even trying to find it. Actually, just uh, going with it, because it, it, there's always mm -hmm. another way to go. And coincidentally, those chords that you mentioned, the broken chord. It's, I call it the ACDC chord, because oh, okay. they do that, st that stretch a lot, yeah, you know, the, and you have it in Number of the Beast with the, the kind of... Uh, exactly. That kind of thing. And there's this, yeah. this uh, also there's this, this riff that you wrote, I think, that has in Crimson 2, that has this kind of, you know... Yeah. 
that's like a, a complete run of those. Yeah, and I think um, I think also the the opening song for Retribution uh, on Stolen Wings have some kind of world record in those yeah. kind of <laughs> things. All and it's one of the most complicated songs I ever wrote to be played on a guitar while singing at the same time. So we played it live like one time, and I said no. Never again. I just <laughs> constantly stare down at the neck, and it's just like changing yeah. so much all the time. So how why, how did that happen? You know, it's like eighteen hundred chords in one chorus, but it flows really nicely. But it's a nightmare to play, and yeah. I love those kind of broken chords, but they they uh, yeah. don't sound very good with too much distortion. It's also a problem. No, yeah. I, I don't know. If this is this is true because I've not I've not attempted to learn it by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, uh, one of my favorite of uh, one of your songs is from uh, the, uh, Witherscape, the, the first album. Uh, Dead for a Dead for a Day sounds like there might be some of those on there. I don't know because again, I haven't tried to learn it. But um, yeah, that's a, that's just, I also just to mention that that project because I think it's such a, a great yeah. album. And um, uh, I was I, that's also one of the ones that's always in my kind of standard rotation because it's a, I think it's a very strong album. Um, what was the writing process there? Because in that one, you you, you don't play guitar on those. You, you 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 do drums, vocals, and keyboards, correct? Yeah, that's true. But I actually still remember writing "Dead for a Day." Uh, it was the first song I had written for a very long time, and I was, I was, kind of. I mean, me and Ragnar had talked about doing something together, but I was still figuring out if I could make some kind of Moon Tower album again or death metal albums i needed to do something you know because i had the century media deal coming up and i was messing around with uh, the nightingale tuning again for the first time in yeah. a very long time and the first thing i came up with was um the intro acoustic guitar sequence and and then uh, i yeah. came up with this kind of gothic rock da -da 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 thing, what is the yeah, chorus, good pretty much. Yeah, that's a good Yeah, hook. it's one of the better ones, uh, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, I just listened to it the other day, and I thought, fuck, that's a really cool song. But I had in my head that it would sound more like what was really popular at the time, where all the bands have really nice haircuts and be kind of hardcore <laughs> metal boy bands. And I thought, I'm yeah. going to form one of those bands, you know? I'm going to... Because <laughs> I, I, I had mixed something a little bit like it with the Bereaved and so not so long ago. It this kind of modern metal, you know, when they're yeah. like... Um, they had the verse for the guys and the chorus for the girls. But I was more right. like, no, it's going to be like opposite of that. H.O. Sanity style. I'm going to growl my ass off in the chorus and it's going to be nice and friendly. And... All of a sudden, yeah, I remember playing the, the demo to, to Ragnar. I said, oh, fuck, I was supposed to write shit for us, but I did this instead. And I just sent him, like, I did a demo of like half until after the first chorus. And he said, no, this is a world hit. It needs to be on the record. This is fantastic. I thought, oh, okay. So this is what we can do in terms of commercial. This is our yeah. wasted years now you know yeah. now we mm. just have to write all the other ones yeah. that are not as commercial so that one is commercial because when you start writing all the same nothing is anymore you know whatever commercial yeah. or uncommercial so then then i went super dark and started with the opening track the mother of the soul which is kind of a black metal vibe to it really a dissonant and messed up and you know so that was an interesting song to write because it was also in this really strange tuning and um yeah. It it gives it completely a new voice, and one of the one of the bands that I have really enjoyed in the last twenty years is Alter Bridge, 
And um, oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. know why. Mike, Mike Tremonti, because it was right? like my wife were listening to Open Your Eyes all the time in the car stereo. And I was like, every song that's, every time the song came out, I was like, fuck, this is an amazing song. What is this? Oh, it's this band with old guys from Creed. And I'm like, ah, what? Really? But yeah. it sounds not like <laughs> he has a frog in his mouth when he's singing. No, it's a new singer, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I just, just that whole album from start to finish was fantastic. And then I get it way later that he is using different tunings all the time. Super weird tuning where, where one yeah. is like uh, one octave lower A to A or whatever. It's like something I guess yeah. like Wild kind of invented a bit. Super deep, but the rest of the guitar is, is not. And then uh, the, the, the Dadgad, this Irish... Yeah. Uh, yeah, open your yeah. eyes is in Dadgat tuning because okay. the way the notes just sh come up, I can all of a sudden not visualizing me going home playing that song on acoustic guitar. Normally I can. You said, oh, this is probably this and that, blah, blah. I just all the chords were weird and all the strings were kind of ringing in a strange, like, huh, how you play this shit without anything sounding strange? Because you hear the guy is playing on all strings and he's like full on, you know, massive yeah. distortion. Yeah. And then I read about him. Yeah, I do this kind of tuning. And he started that already in Creed. It's like okay. he's been messing with tunings all the time. The moment he's bored, he's just tuning a few strings in a different direction, like I did yeah. when I came up with the Nightingale tuning. He's just like, oh, this one go over here and this one go here. Whoops. Yeah. Here we have Nightfall yeah. Overture in five minutes. <laughs> that was a cool tuning. Uh, Let's make a whole record, you know, boom. And ah, it's... It's weird, and also this what a sound or a tuning can inspire you to do. It's 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 really yeah. really oh, underrated. Yeah. So that was the thing for Dead for a Day it was all all from that kind of oh now I have other notes when I put my fingers here. That's strange, yeah. you know. And you had almost like you have to learn to play guitar again because you have yeah. no idea what happens. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I was very inspired by this. It was um, you, because that was also in the, back in the email.com days. I asked because I was trying to transcribe Crimson. <laughs> so I asked and you said, yeah, this is the tuning. Uh. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Then there was Devin Townsend as well. He's doing C, G, C, G, C, E uh -huh. on, on most of his, of his things. And then uh, Opeth came a little bit later with uh, Ghost Reveries, also open tuning. And I was listening to a lot of Nick Drake. So I, I started messing with it and I still do to this day. Sometimes when I write riffs, I don't even know where the tuning is because I've, I've just, you know, just tuned the strings and then I have to check it out afterwards and write it down to remember, yeah. you know, and sometimes you can transcribe it to standard or maybe a normal drop or something, but sometimes it stays there. And I think it's uh, quite underrated actually among guitarists. And if we look at Iron Maiden, Steve is very conservative with this. He didn't allow drop D until no. the last album. They, they have that now? To. I was going to say they never yeah, they had, had another one tune. song. One song. One they song. They had yeah. to. They even rehearsed it in E Standard and he said, it's not that heavy. And then Bruce, oh. who wrote the song, was like, no shit. <laughs> it's not that heavy. <laughs> yeah, because it's his solo stuff, D. I guess, was a lot of kind of drop D maybe. Yeah, but it, at least lower. it sounded like it could have been. Yeah. 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 He's, less, is, yeah. Uh, he's less conservative musically, at least, I would say, Bruce Dickinson. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, you have a little bit of tension there in between those two guys. They're very different mindsets, I think, very different uh, uh, just mental setups. Absolutely. And this, this, this tension can be really good for a band, but it can also, in the end, kind of break, break a band because yeah. it's yeah. sometimes easier to not just like a little bit like me and Dread had. I just didn't feel like telling him that this song that he played sucked because he would just tell me what he think that all my songs suck 
So let's just yeah. shut up and record yeah. an album and don't get problems with the record label. And some of those songs uh, would have never been what they are today if I would have messed with anything. It was like this delicate balance. Just leave yeah. it all as it is. Let this guy do his things, then I can do my thing. And I knew exactly where, where you... It's a bit the same dynamic between me and my brother for Nightingale also. Just don't, yeah. you know, don't go there. Don't start whatever. Because some people still think the songs he wrote that I had nothing to do with and wanted to change 50 things with are the best songs we ever did. So, hmm, maybe I'm wrong yeah. here. You know, just shut the fuck up and let the world evolve, you know, in its own way. Yeah, and that's kind yeah. of what happened with Smith on Summer in Time, because he, that's the first time anyone was, uh, to my knowledge, yeah, Dave Murray on Charlotte the Harlot, but that's a strange number. But aside of that, I think it's the first time anyone came into Maiden with sole credits, and then uh, also on, single, on singles on top of that. So I think Steve maybe went that way for that album and thought like, hey, I'm going to let him do his thing. I'm not going to meddle with it. And, no. Uh, I mean, the results speak for themselves. Very strong songs. I don't think they would have been as strong if Steve would have added or Steveized uh, Wasted Years or Stranger in no, a Strange that's, Land. No, that's true. But I think maybe Bruce wrote some shit on his own, but not a single. Uh, I think Revelation is uh, a yeah, whole Bruce. That's right. Revelation is a seven. That's a good point. Yeah. Revelations and also Power Slave, actually. So Bruce was yeah. let in first. Flash the light. Good point. But those songs are also killer. There's also killer songs, those songs, uh, the early Bruce soul credits. But uh, yeah, I completely forgot about them. They also have a different touch. And uh, I just also want to mention uh, another of those. I mean, it's from the Adrian days, but I'm not really sure that he had anything to do with Prodigal Son. Because that's also one of the first Maiden songs from this time in 86, when I was this mega fan that I completely fell in love with. And I, mm. I hear it now, I hear only Rush. But at the time, I didn't know Rush. <laughs> So for yeah. me, it was like, wow, what is this, like a half ballad, not really acoustic guitars, and it's got that kind of, I want to say open <laughs> kind of vibe, <laughs> but it's also maybe a bit backwards, but you know what I mean? It's got this da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And I remember being so disappointed that they never played this live on this VHS I bought and this and that, and I thought it was a fantastic song, but none of my friends cared. Oh, it's boring, you know? But I <laughs> yeah, think we had another guest. Super song, actually. Yeah, yeah, recently we had a guest playing uh, Christian Niemann, uh, who plays in a band called Sorcerer and previously was in Therion and other bands. And he, he came up, he came to us to play some Adrian Smith solos. Oh. And that was one of his favorite solos. And it's a really, really cool solo. And there you get a lot of Adrian in that, in that ballad type solo that he does in Prodigal Son. But also I think Prodigal Son ha might have a hidden writing credit because Maiden did buy out quite a few guys from the first couple of albums oh, from okay. the credits. So they bribe, they bribe them and they bribe them. Songs like Sanctuary, Strange World, probably also Prodigal Son had yeah. other guitarists involved in writing, but they have been bought out. Ah, okay. So yeah, that's because maybe it, why they didn't play it. It's a bit clever. I'm not saying that Steve Harris is not clever. He's got some fantastic favorite bands, but honestly didn't show for me that much in his writing. You know, he was more like this meat and potato, hard rocking kind of guy, but Coming from someone who, who loved Genesis and Jess and all that stuff, I always felt that he could maybe be a little bit more into, into, into what you say? Intricate. Intricate, <laughs> Intricate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. in his writing. But it's like he realized that, no, it seems to work better when we are like more like blue-collar, straightforward, hard rock, heavy metal. Works better you know, on stage or whatever. He was always very 
uh, focused in this what worked because i don't think really prodigal son even when they would play it now on the upcoming tour guys would be like huh? and we have a few in the back who's going oh yeah but most yeah. of the people would have no idea you know what i mean it's like right. you have to separate this what you listen to at home and what you let into the music because there are some bands out there they, they keep their formula going and these are still the bigger bands like yeah. I don't know, I want to mention too many names, but they have always been there. And the new ECDC album could have been done 35 years ago. Oh yeah, definitely. It so sounds I'm, dangerously close to, to Back in Black, I think. Yeah. Dangerously close, but, but in a <laughs> so good I way. Think, I like it. And I think but maybe Maiden, Maiden have uh, evolved in, in the, like, after Bruce came back in ways that is more uh, prog metal and more like long songs, lots of you know, parts and, and this and that, but I haven't really paid any attention to that. But I've I've heard that people say it's a little bit too much even sometimes. sometimes Fifteen yeah. minute songs, twenty minute songs or whatever with piano and yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. So now they're doing it. <laughs> I think the thing is he's he's a good prog listener. I think he listened to a lot of good stuff that I like too from the seventies. But I think as a writer he's more he's he's just not that he's not that advanced or dynamic, you know. He's not a super dynamic songwriter. So I think it, he would be hard pressed to to come up with something uh, Genesis sounding or uh, even Rush sounding, but uh, it's definitely in there. But uh, you know, just a small portion of what they're doing. And I, I think say. maybe that's it's good. So, but there are definitely some songs. I think there's at least one on every record from the early times. That's a little bit an oddball. That is a little bit different than, than I remember. Uh -huh. Even as a, I don't know. 12, 13 year old kid thinking, oh, this one is a little bit different from The Trooper or Aces High. So, mm -hmm. It's like somewhere on the B side. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I think I like this. You know, this is, this is uh, not so maiden. But I mean, I can listen back to some of the stuff I wrote at the time with Ghost. And it is, it's clear before or after I discovered Iron Maiden. It's like, there's one song called V, King, which I don't know if it's yeah. out there. It's on the Soul and Cerner demo. It's, completely Iron Maiden. It's like, it's not a rip off, right. but it's, it's Iron Maiden all over the place. <laughs> With all the harmonies and a bum, ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum, ba -da -dum. and I think, oh yeah. fuck, that was, oh, this is the new band I like. Now all songs sound like them, you know. <laughs> Didn't you rename yourself to Icarus as well? Yeah, we did. And that had something to do perhaps with Flight of Icarus? Might be. I, I'm honestly be. not really sure where that name came from, but okay. it might have been. It's it's yeah. uh, definitely in the in the time frame. It's it's definitely possible. We were Icarus in for a, what felt like an eternity was probably two months or whatever. <laughs> but we did in this time like seven gigs because we were part of this oh. touring competition thing, and you know it was gigs everywhere in the, in '88. Yeah, we were yeah. Icarus for a bit. Yeah, it was probably, probably the, I cannot think of any other thing it, it could have been. So, yeah. All right, well. I was thinking, speaking of uh, renaming stuff, because I, I saw, I can't remember where I saw it now, because speaking of Ghost, uh, on, for instance, Spotify, you're, you're called Ghost, but you had to have, you had to add, didn't you have to add something to that just to not be, because there's, there's another, uh, quite famous ghost at the moment. Really? I haven't heard uh, about that. I, Tell me. No, well, I'm I'm kidding. Kidding. Let me see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who are those guys? So, so what's the name of, of, of the original ghost then? Ghost ADP. 
Right. Also HDP, all right. Yeah. yeah. No, I was laughing my ass off listening to uh, Rock Podden when you were joining in. Oh. <laughs> Swedish Swedish speaking people can check it out. And when you were talking about how, how <laughs> I don't know which band you met. Some. It was total death. 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 death yeah. Total death. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and you were trying to convince them like, no, we're hard rock now. We're hackers <laughs> now. <laughs> and they're like, UFO, the uh, worst shit I've ever heard. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you did become friends later, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. Um, also weird how how it felt like it could have been so long time but it was from that moment until i actually recorded albums with these guys it was not even 10 years and before yeah. we became really good friends what was a matter of months because they were also on this touring rock competition circuit and uh yeah they, they were super nice guys but maybe they were one of them was maybe even four or five years older than us but they were kind of around our age but they just happened to really listen to the latest most brutal thrash and we were still like oh, operation mind crime or you know a great <laughs> album yeah that's really a good one so uh, yeah, yeah but with ghost we had to i tried uh, i was working with this distro kid and tried to explain to them oh, hey you know we are ghost and we tried to to call it ghost uh, finspong or ghost uh, 83 to 88 or whatever something that didn't involve no we're not accepting this because of this and that the other ghost and they also had problems for a bit and had to be ghost yeah bc, BC. or something yeah so it, it's right. a problem when you have this kind of name and um yeah adp is on this down the pad but also dog and patrick which are the names of the two other involved parties so it was a really okay. lucky oh. combination but i think when when you search for ghost um i think we should pop up there somewhere maybe <laughs> yeah and Patrick is the guy who played the Death Death Shallow Bizarre on. Uh, no, that's Anders Morby. He's the guy. Anders Morby. Um, Patrick uh, Seals first play on Diabolical Masquerade, Death Design. Okay. Some jazz, yeah, jazz solos. I yeah, heard. it's an interesting record. A very fun kind of a mess. Just a lot of small songs. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's a good word. It's a lot of. I remember being in contact with Anders as well uh, from Catatonia uh, mm -hmm. during those times, and I remember. I had this term that I thought I came up with, but I think you used it way before. It was pop death. <laughs> you know, yeah, you write a death metal song, maybe a bit like Dead for a Day or uh, yeah, pop death. And I remember at the time they wanted to get rid of that in, in Bloodbath. This was like in between Nightmares Made Flesh and, uh, and the next album that you were not on. Yeah, and I was wondering like, why, why do you want to get rid of pop death? I don't understand. Like, there, you know, you're not like the original death metal band here. There are already like Morbid Angels and Entombs out there. So... Why not a bit of pop death in 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 Bloodbath? Yeah. I thought. Yeah. But then again, they still play those songs like Fire. Yeah, they do. But you have to yeah. see it that I come from um, a very different musical background than some other writers in that genre, and they don't care about hooks or that you can sing along. But what brought me into the genre in the first place was Leprosy from Death, and one of the main reasons why I got hooked on it after listening to six techno trash albums i had heard that same mm -hmm. day where i couldn't remember anything at all was that yeah. i could remember every song after hearing i could even play the songs after hearing them half the song i yeah. knew the riffs and i could sing along to all the choruses there's a few that is maybe not so hooky but most of them was like pull the plug or left to die yeah. leprosy they just kept slamming at you like a fucking danger danger record but every chorus is like in your face remember this until you die and i had not yeah. experienced this on a very well produced 
like almost I know it sounds weird, but there are AOR albums out there with with a more necro sound than leprosy because it's very yeah. well produced and it's you know, it's just with the big ass drums and everything is so like sounds like a record, like I like them too. And then yeah. you have this insane f- super growling, everything is clear, and you hear everything, you know, and I was just like, Whoa, this this is a new beginning. Fuck all that techno thrash shit, you know, where they play as many notes as they can. Yeah. While yeah. Chuck was playing like two notes, they were playing 11. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. this is way more my kind of thing, you know? Because I always like those more simple kind of riffs. You know, they, there's something about knowing the riff in your head when you hear it. It makes you connect somehow. Right. So it makes more sense than this super complex techno death that I think Bloodbath wanted to go in another direction because that was the kind of direction I think they wanted to go when they kind of formed the band before I was involved, you know, when it was just a, a brain ghost. Like, oh, one day we will have a tech US death band that just played. And okay, that didn't happen until I left. But eventually they started blasting like hell and everything was very uncommercial in the way you would remember things while i yeah. like jump, jugga, 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 jump way more you know that's yeah that's just who i am yeah i think it's a it's, it's, hooks you can always use hooks yeah, of course never, i, I never don't listen thing. to any music without hooks you could say whatever yeah. you want but oh that yeah. song yeah that's a hook it's a my bloody valentine's strange shoegaze song yeah but that is what i listen to that's the hook you know it's not really a commercial song and then even in some super integrate uh, that word again complicated uh, stuff yeah. like gentle giant that i love there's always a hook there somewhere could be the weird marimba lick or whatever but there are also gentle giant songs that i don't like to listen to because to me what they do there is n- doesn't have a hook that speak to me so just yeah. because it's a similar song with a lot of weird percussions and strange backbeats or whatever, mm, I like the other one that is like that better because that is a better song, that is a better hook. I connect more with this. So I've become one of those super boring dudes. But I must say, in a time before I knew, really, that everyone listened to playlists, I've had one since my first iPod that I bought when it came out. The first one with the 160 gigabyte thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I took all my CDs and just threw on it and I started making a playlist because it had a function when you heard a song and you liked it, you could push a button on the physical iPod and it was then later on showing up as a playlist in iTunes. And then I just took all those, it's like 1,200 songs, I think, out of my entire record collection. That's all I've been listening to in the last 15 years when I'm not working on other people's music. And that's yeah. such a strange mix of all kinds of weird music. And just some, some bands are just like, oh, okay, they have, I have eight records. How many songs? Three. Okay, those are the three songs I like with that band. Mm. That's yeah. how it is. I don't want to hear the other ones anymore ever. I haven't sold the CDs, but you know, that's, that's how I work. So I listen to songs that makes me feel whatever I want to feel. I want to feel epic, positive, whatever, sad, want to cry. Yeah, listen to that song, you know? So that's what I've become, you know? This listen to an album from beginning to the end happens very, very rarely. But I think this connection with the songs and with the hooks is very much a strength of Iron Maiden too, because you have so many fans that they don't know English. Yeah. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't sing along, but they do know 
you know it's uh, it's definitely hooks there just like in pull the plug everyone knows and also that break why don't you exactly you know, and it's, that's it's, a bum, it's, bum, bum, it's like yeah. there's moron riffs like a fucking yeah, give a chimpanzee a guitar <laughs> you would play bum, bada, bum, ba, bum, bada, bum. I think, yeah. yeah that's exactly what i feel like it's like a very well-dressed caveman writing yeah. a song it's like oh this is used to be so dirty and filthy and you heard some rehearsal tape with some old american band from 84 and it's distorting in one channel and it's like oh, i think there's a song there somewhere that kind of music was now sounding super yeah and yeah. that was I was waiting for that. I needed that definition because, again, I came from a background that had nothing to do with Motorhead or Venom or whatever. I needed it to be slick in some ways, like Merciful Fate I could get into because their production had that album. It's not sounding very super good. They have even more mid-range on the guitars than all Iron Maiden albums combined. But there is this, I am in a record now. Don't disturb me, you know? Like you're watching right. a movie or whatever, you just get sucked into Don't Break the Oath and, and I am there. You know, it's like uh, I see kind of mean it's a 3D experience. It's, it's weird. You know, it's still to this day when I hear a song come on on like this mix. I have it also, of course, on an SD card in the car, my 1200 songs. So I ne- they never escape me. Mm-hmm. And then some yeah. s- most Merciful Fate albums are on there, the first two. Anyway. And a song just pops up and I'm I'm instantly, I don't know, 12 again and listen to that shit and be yeah. scared and, whoa, what is this? You know, this kind of cinematic musical experience. It's still there. It, it never leaves you. It's such a strong bond. And uh, I think a lot of people have that with Maiden. And I know a lot of yeah. Iron Maiden fans, they were around the age, but they did not have two older brothers who force fed them music that they were listening to at the time when they discovered something like iron maiden and there was already a few albums to go back to but the current one and including all this thing with the album covers with eddie and you know all this all this mythology almost this is their musical dna mine is different but yeah i totally get it because i have some really close friends they are it's like incredibly uh they are musicians they're in like somehow they sh- they have this connection with Iron Maiden, like my connection is with, with early Priest and early Merciful Fate. But I had that already when I heard Iron Maiden the first time. So that could not be the connection for me. Mine right. came later with the AOR Maiden. That was breaking new ground for me. And then I, then I went out and discovered that whole music that makes me feel that way. I still get goosebumps, you know? Yeah. Whenever I hear that Stranger in a Strange Land verse there where the, where the guitar synth pad comes in and there's uh-huh. voicings, it's just magic every time. It's like, whoa, I want more yeah. of that shit. And I went on to, to find Journey and that kind of stuff. They have also these kind of guitar synthy lead sounds and all that shit going on uh, on Frontier's album. And I think yeah. maybe it could be that Adrian, just like the guys from Europe I know, they were really getting into to journey because they were like uh, blending a little bit that uh, there's some hard rocking bordering on metal on 
on the Frontiers album with uh, Journey. But of course, everyone think about the big soppy hit ballads, you yeah, know, but yeah. there are some pretty minor key AOR deluxe on that one. Yeah, I think uh, the 3D experience you talked about going into the album, in this case, you, you refer to Don't Break the Oath. I think that's very much the case for me with Somewhere in Time. I, like, I'm instantly in that, in that realm, in that zone, as soon as you put it on. Yeah, I stand somewhere behind Eddie on the cover, looking at some, you know, what yeah. shop things and finding what Derek Riggs have been hiding. Is there a Mickey Mouse here somewhere or whatever, you know, this kind of, yeah. you get sucked into that uh, vibe. And I remember thinking that 1999, that's a really long time. You know, in the future, like oh, on yeah. the wasted years <laughs> right. thing, and then 2050. Yeah. yeah, maybe we have this conversation again in 2050 when we're all all old yeah. dudes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so definitely possible. Have the same vibes. <laughs> yeah, definitely possible. And I think, yeah, I think speaking also of your connecting back to your uh, uh, denim jacket, that was when I, when I was 12. All I bought was Iron Maiden. Uh, you know, I went to the to the record shop, but I went only to look at I. Yeah. <laughs> and then browse to Iron Maiden. It's like, which albums do I still don't have? And so, you know, when you're 12, 13, you know, it really becomes your world, I think, when you find a, a band that resonates with you. And maybe it really opens up for me. In, in my case, you know, it's uh, now 22, 23 more years of, of metal since then, right? And it all began with Iron Maiden. So that's, you know, why I still, I'm still this huge Iron Maiden nerd and I still can't really get enough. So I, I keep filling in information, doing this pod and and uh, also when we do this, when we have guests, we have realized that the guests vary so much in age and they all have their own Iron Maiden. Yeah. Everyone has their Iron Maiden. In your case, it's AR Maiden. Yeah. And then, you know, we talk to people that were born around the millennia and the huge Iron Maiden fans, completely different perspectives. I think you know, like, they just kind of, they kept at it, I think. And I think that's a big strength of the band that they, they kept doing it and stayed somewhat, uh, somewhat true to their spirit, but not completely rigid, right? They still change things now and then so i think it's a long-lasting power yeah, of that kind of band. they yeah. have a speaking of power they can suck you in with non-musical things i mean i I'm, i admit i really enjoyed wasted years and also reach out now i thought that was fantastic stuff but what really sucked me in was the other things the, anything about iron maiden at the time the with eddie and their whole universe that was so much cooler than the universe for some other bands I liked. But all I had with them was like the album cover and was like boring, no, nothing, you know. But with Maiden, everything was exciting. Yeah, everything. Oh yeah. And I had a, a really good friend. He's still a friend, but we were really hanging out all the time called Accept Lasse. In the, <laughs> he was a yeah. major Iron Maiden collector. He had fucking everything. <laughs> And for me to, to hang out at his place when he, he had just picked up a package with like 16 new whatever promo bootleg flexi disc, whatever, you know, everything was just like he, he collected so many bands, except, of course, and he also collected Priest and Maiden and the Flapper, I think, and all that and all his Maiden things, all these strange pressings and all this and that from that country and that was, you know, that was also such a big part of this whole, they had so many cool things. Mm -hmm. Like, yes. it was just a whole yeah. universe that, I can only think of Kiss, actually. That was the same. I was in yeah, sucked into the world of Kiss in 82. More for the posters, how they looked like, than really how they sounded. 
And with Maiden, it, this was for me, to hearing two songs, it was like, okay, now you can get in. Now you can get all that other stuff, you know, because I couldn't really allow myself based on some of the more basic three chord twin harmony things to be a full-blown Iron Maiden fan. It just didn't work for me. But when mm -hmm. they went into my world, where I got that a little bit of that kind of progressiveness yeah. and that epicness that I needed, I was I was in, like I said, for like six months or whatever, full-on Maiden <laughs> maniac. Yeah. And I think uh, when you said that their universe was way more interesting than any other band's universe, I thought you were going to say way more interesting than this actual universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because... Well, well, universe, uh, when I was in this, I was like 13 or whatever, that was my universe. Yeah. And whatever yeah. band I worshipped at the time, that was all there was to it. I played with Ghost and then I had like my flavor of the month <laughs> band, <laughs> whatever yeah. that was, you know, and... Uh, yeah, Maiden, it, it's still there. It's, it's a tiny bit of my musical DNA. It's definitely this, what I picked up from those. Yeah, it, I would say it, it's, um, it's not that many songs, but they have meant so much more for me than like an entire catalog of albums for some other bands that I used yeah. to listen to back in the day. Because when I hear it today, I'm like, oh, how could I ever listen to this crap? <laughs> you know, it's out of tune, out of time. What the fuck? <laughs> but, but there are some, um, they have this special vibe to them. And I think it, it's got a little bit to do with this, how, how they were also experimenting. I think they, they, uh, they, they were also broadening their horizons with the guitar synthesizers and, and this and that. And um, I think I pick up that kind of shit also to this day in music. So, oh, because that, that song is really cool. Yeah, but they don't normally sound like that. Hmm. That's probably why I like it, yeah. because they're messing around a little bit. They don't know really what they're doing, but it turned out great. And uh, I think yeah. uh, bands really don't experiment enough, and some bands experiment too much, but it, you need to find that little extra ingredient only, you know? That little yeah, new spice you... in your already perfect bolognese or whatever, and all of a sudden, <laughs> boom, wow! You know, that's take it slow, but expand. I think you had a good point in that they actually use those three chords only and that I think it's easier to experiment and stay the same if you are within perimeters of let's say E minor, C major, D major and harmonies but you're experimenting within that kind of narrow field. I think that's a way to keep keep uh, Iron Maiden Iron Maiden while still pushing it a little bit. So I think it's it, it could be a good thing sometimes to be um, limited in, in music uh, so you experiment on one level but on another level you're kind of limited you don't know that many chords you know uh, but within those chords that you know you try to develop the sound of it and i think that's a big strength with our maiden what yeah. would you say eric well I was, I was just actually uh yeah definitely but before i forget i, I have a question like i guess because i remember uh, speaking of mr smith and that stuff have you heard either one of you the uh adrian's new new project that's just uh they've released one single so far no, I heard it. Yeah. yeah, I haven't. Is it any good? It's all right. I mean, I I think that um, I I'm, I'm curious to hear the rest of the album. I'll put it that way. It's good enough that I kind of really want to see whether where they're going with it. It's it's not obviously on the level of you know wasted years and that kind of stuff because very little you know very few songs are. But it's uh, you can definitely hear it, Tim. Put it that way. So what kind of stuff is it? Is it more melodic or? A bit 90s still though, uh -huh. which I'm okay with. I like it, but I don't. I also find it peculiar that these guys go for the 90s style. You know, like John Sykes did that as well, 
uh, when he went full on uh, like a grunge metal but it's not grunge metal but it's I, I was expecting it maybe more 80s but uh, I think it's really good playing and songwriting so I'm also interested to check the rest out Cool. I'm not familiar with the Kotzen guy that he's working with. Richard Kotzen, what was yeah. his band? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not really familiar with him either. Uh, he was in Poison for a oh. bit. Oh, right. Oh, okay, in Poison. And right, he, yeah, he's so got a really funny name because here in Germany, Kotzen means throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those not so like the uh, American Idol winner, Boo Bice. He <laughs> yeah, didn't have a really Bice. good career in Sweden. Oh, yeah, that Boo was <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> I also had a, a couple of questions as we're, as, we're, as we're nearing the end here. I had a couple of things that I wanted oh. to ask. And one of them was uh, all those bands that you recorded in the 90s. Uh, I, I'm wondering, were there a lot of Iron Maiden references in the studio? Like, oh, let's Iron Maiden melody this or Iron Maiden melody that. Because I imagine a guy like Jon Nertveit, for example, must have been a huge Maiden fan. Yeah, but, but, uh, yeah, maybe, but it didn't, uh, maybe it didn't show up in the studio. I don't know. I wanted to ask you. The only thing I can remember that is like still with me with Iron Maiden is that they wanted this drum sound from Power Slave for Storm of the Lights Bane. Okay. Which yeah. is what I was actually trying to do. If anyone ever heard the first version of that record, the first mix, which is called Rough Mix or whatever, um, mm. that had that kind of sound. Huh? And, and um, it's like viewing the drum kit more as one instrument rather than uh, pieces, separate things, you know, because that's very much the Martin Birch sound. It's like you you put some close mics, but it's more like a big kit sound. A lot and, of overheads. Yeah, it's very overheady sounding. Also not very much r ambient room. It's more like overheady, like you sit behind the drum kit kind of sound. And uh, that's what I remember was one of the references that there should be more of a power slave kind of drum sound. and. I didn't really A, B, listen. You couldn't do that in these in these days. I, I mean, you could, but I didn't. But I had in mind, this is more like a cardboard box kind of sound than like big ringy. So we took the, the bottom heads off the toms and we tuned them up and tried to, to get that kind of sound. But in the end, it sounded like recording in a church somewhere. <laughs> but it, <it's laughs> so it didn't work. Very cool. <laughs> it's a completely different sound, but I, now that you say it, I can get it. And we've been really gagging over the power slave drum sound in this pod already yeah. and how they sound so big and powerful and uh, also the fact that they are without the, the bottom heads yeah it's it's got that uh, special okay. sound to it somehow with yeah. it's a cons concerto tom or whatever you call it yeah and my other question was uh, of your catalog which would be the most maiden songs it doesn't have to sound like maiden it could be feeling like maiden do you have any off the top of your head mm-hmm uh, Obviously, the, the, the one is V King from Ghost. That is like uh -huh. full-on Iron Maiden. Uh, but that, that, of course, that counts. But it was, it was written during my total Iron Maiden worship. Um, yeah. But I think there might be, there might be some moments uh, on, on the, the Breathing Shadow. And I think you could pick up maybe some vibes also on the Moon Tower album where this Adrian Smith-ish kind of way of, of seeing things come through. I, I don't think there is any uh, Iron Ma I think there might be uh, there is a part on Crimson that is kind of, I think we even call it the Iron Maiden riff. 
because da 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 Losing myself maybe is a little bit maidenish. I think it sounds like uh, it sounds more like In Flames, but obviously In Flames <laughs> have listened quite a bit to our maiden and you actually. I think Jesper came out and said he was a huge fan of you. Yeah, in, uh, yeah. in, in, in starting in starting yep. the band, and but I think with that that hook melody, but it's also maybe a little bit more punk driven. Yeah, um, but I, if I anything should be um, Iron Maiden-ish, it's the chorus from Black Tears. It's full on Iron Maiden. When you see the chording, it's like this, it's only three chords or four chords in the whole song. So, yeah. but, but it, it's sometimes the, the maiden, I am, I am not really that in love with Iron Maiden when they sound like Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. And I am yeah. also not really that much in love with any other band when they sound exactly like they have somehow became known for. This is just who right. I am. I am like this... I want to be that deep dude who like the other <laughs> stuff, you know, but this is just so. Also when priests sound like living after midnight or breaking the law, I want to shoot myself. <laughs> Give me beyond the realms of death <laughs> oh, or yeah, some super weird B-side song from Killing Machine rather than, you know, this kind of, I don't know. I don't like it when it's, they, they make it to, to what the kids want. This yeah. is, was never <laughs> my thing. So I think in some ways, the more famous Edge of Sanity songs is when I don't give the kids what they want. I mean, who the right. fuck wanted a 40-minute song as a follow-up to Purgatory Afterglow? <laughs> and who the fuck yeah. needed a clean singing intro on Twilight? Who, you know, who needed all that that is now the classics? Who needed a yeah. like 70s-inspired prog metal album with growling in 98? nobody yeah uh, some drunk guys even like what the fuck are you doing singing that kind of gorilla vocal shit on this super cool hard rock you know and i'm like oh sorry <laughs> sorry you don't get <laughs> it because these two worlds they were so far apart in this time you yeah. know it was supposed yeah. to have more clean singing on it but it all sounded really like i normally say like dream theater on a bad day <laughs> Because the moment you start adding clean vocal to a riff like the one in Son of the Night or whatever, that thing is taking over. That's just like the human mind listen to the vocal. And then all this cool thing going on in the background is just like background. And the vocal harmony you could sing on top of some of those riffs or like one or two notes or they will sound completely weird. Mm -hmm. And I realized yeah. this, fuck, I should have written the vocal harmonies Joey Tempest style, like you, you play some really boring backing chords, but the vocal harmony is just magical. Then you mm -hmm. play the riff and shut the fuck up with the singing. But yeah. no, no, no. Here we are riffing all the time and you have the pentatonic. You can go a little bit Arabian or <laughs> whatever on top to make it a bit spicy, but you have a few notes. And yeah. I hate songs yeah. that are riff and then there are a few notes of a vocal harmony on top. It's just so boring. I like it mm -hmm. better when, when you... you uh, you, you keep the riff really simple and let the vocal harmony bloom, you know? That's, for me, yeah. super, super interesting. Yeah, I figured that out too when I just started to mess with writing lyrics and, and vocal melodies for my songs. Even if I wouldn't sing them, but I wanted uh, it to be a vocal song, I realized that I can't riff all the time. It doesn't work. 
and and if you listen to Maiden and also uh, Dio stuff like Rainbow stuff and uh, and and when Dio went into Sabbath, there's way less riffs suddenly yeah. because he likes to sing on chords, and that really makes his voice work and yeah. and stand out in the track. If if you have a mess of riffs underneath, it's harder. And I think that really goes for Maiden as well. That's why they have a lot of these standard chords because they leave room for the vocals. Yeah, it's it's a smart thing actually. Now that I think of it, yeah. and uh, I know that there are a few songs on Mob Rules where there is still a riff which is basically the same root note all the time. But yeah. Dio, he still find a way to add any possible note that you could yeah. on like a droning, whatever they tune down to. And he find all these little weirdo voicings and all, and I think it's so so smart of him to do that. But um, I, I actually prefer it when, when the riff is kind of calming down a little bit when the vocal harmony is on top. And and that is one thing, of course, that Iron Maiden is is really good at. It's it's to have a good vocal harmony and also most of the time really clever guitar harmonies on top of those three chords. It's just the fact that it's been done a few times too many for my personal taste. But yeah. you know, they're the biggest band in the metal world, so yeah, they are. <laughs> they are. I, mean, I sent uh, I sent a couple of tracks to a drummer of mine and we play this kind of more pop prog type things. Uh, rarely any distortions and and uh, i sent him i know that he do really doesn't like maiden but I, i found this good live clip from rio and i sent it to him and he said you know i have to admit these guys they know their dynamics which is a bit rare in metal i think you know the fact that you can bring it down for the verse and that nico closes his hi-hat in the verses i mean when i started with metal it was pretty much binary you know either you had a clean part or you had a full-on distorted part full-on blasting where i think maiden is more seamless in in the dynamics and he, like even a pop prog uh, copland style drummer could hear that and, and appreciate that i think they, they are all way better musicians i think they could all play way more complex music but they kind of back off uh -huh. and they drive 50 yeah. when they can drive 200 you know i think right. this is one of the things they are they are smarter than than you might think with some of those arrangements the way they let you breathe and what i, I remember also one of the first things um that I thought was really cool was, uh, uh, what is the song? I think it's the Trooper, who have this only vocal verse, like this a cappella. That was one, like, when I was really young, and I think maybe I saw it the first time on this uh, TV show uh, from Westfalenhalle in Dortmund. It was like uh, 83 oh, yeah. or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 83, yeah. And I just like, wow. That's really unusual. I, I don't know that much. You know, it was still the same basic chords and all that stuff, but I really like how they play with the concept. I think that's really interesting. And you can do yeah. a lot of fantastic stuff over these three chords rotating, of course. Yeah. And with the pauses, you know, it's used commonly in death metal. We mentioned uh, Pull the Plug, uh, mm -hmm. Why Don't You? And you also have it in Crimson, you have that curse to be walking in the shadows yeah. of death. <gasps> so, you know, it's Trooper. Kind yeah, of, of course. You know, I like this. Um, uh, all Th that's a powerful thing when it's done right. Um, yeah. That you just stop and have some vocal, and then everything just kicks in. That's that's dynamics right there. And in this in this strange loudness war times, that's pretty much all you can do. Full stop. Full start. Yeah. <laughs> then you have a few <laughs> decibels of dynamics. Huh? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, I think we're we're coming near the end. Yeah. Uh, Eric, did you have more? 
things that you wanted to lift before we well i was gonna just uh, ask uh, do you uh, are you working at anything at the moment you'd want to promote while you're here well you know you want to uh, where do people go to check out your stuff i guess you're you're uh, don correct yeah that's uh, more, more like my music and unisound.se is my uh, work page where i have my what i have mixed and mastered via discography or what you call it some kind of mm -hmm portfolio and this and that yeah. yeah at the moment um i just finished uh, speaking of death i'm just finished a massacre album oh. uh it was oh, nice. really really good and um i'm doing all kinds of stuff at the moment i mix an american man called jungle rot which have um completely this neanderthal death metal down it's like yeah. so good they have it's just like i cannot really understand how you can write these kind of three four note riffs but they are never boring they always find a way to to turn and twist some rhythmic thing within those extremely strict limitations that they have uh, which is for me extremely exciting they're really good musicians and all that stuff and uh yeah and then there is this band i could probably even check what they are called <laughs> that i <laughs> started mixing when i didn't know um uh, today. Hmm. no i cannot gc something uh i have no idea uh, i'm really bad with right. the naming of stuff but <laughs> they are really good <laughs> you can find yeah, out on the home page then uh, uh uh what i wait i can go here maybe uh, 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 uh i think i updated they are called grave carver oh wow grave carver yeah. that's a hell of a name I'm working with a band called Slithering Decay also for mastering. And I just uh, finished, like yesterday, the upcoming album with Memory Garden, which is... Um, uh, is that the Tom Bjorns band? Yeah, it? it's Tom yeah. and also Simon, uh, or Simon, right, if yeah. you're international. He played with Wolf and all other bands. Right. And uh, yeah, it's really, really good also. It's like um, really good kind of progressive doom concept album about the plague really really good actually i i personally think it's the best memory garden record but i haven't really listened that much to what they have done since you know 20 years but i listened to the one before that i mixed and i also helped them write some stuff for the one before that but i think they have taken really long time i think they started with this album before we started witherscape or something <laughs> and now it's ready wow. so um you can hear that they took the time and make sure that we rather release a really fucking great album than just some album because they have to do the whole thing again with finding a label you know and all that stuff yeah well that's, that's cool a lot of things going on and you're based in uh, Ruhrgebiet now right yeah in, in, Krefeld. in germany yeah funnily enough my singer from the band that you helped out way back 17 years back he also moved there with his wife <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking strange yeah yeah <laughs> Some, somewhere outside Düsseldorf, something like that. Uh -huh, yeah, um, we are really close I, I, to Düsseldorf. I, I played that area too with, with that band. I played in uh, Bochum, I think it was called Bochum yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Semi-famous small capacity venue in the Essen area. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I think I may, might have seen Asia playing there. All right, really? Or something like well, that. <laughs> there's, there's a few places around here, Essen, Bochum, Dortmund. Uh, yeah. Düsseldorf, not so much actually. Cologne, Köln. I've been uh, uh -huh. seen a cool band, and I saw Hobbs Angel of Death in Oberhausen. I saw Interment also there in Oberhausen. 
It's a really small place, like you have to go through the audience to come on the stage kind of place. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really, really fucking super necro place called Helvete. <laughs> Oh wow! <laughs> but it's cool that you're still checking out bands because then you're not really that uh, you know uh, old elitist that is is out of the out of the loop in that sense. That no, you still but enjoy I, going I must disappoint you. I'm not going. I'm not doing this going to check new bands and give them my card and say, "Hey, you want to work with me? I'm famous." <laughs> no, I go to uh, visit bands. Like I saw also Incantation in this little place. You know, when okay. when people trust me to to mix and master their stuff, I think when I live a couple of hours away i can go and meet them in the flesh i mean I, i've mixed seven eight albums with some bands i've never met them in person you know, i think oh fuck yeah. we gotta change that so sometimes i go to belgium some is holland or whatever and because we live really good here you know we have 20 yeah. minutes to holland so i just show up then and talk a little bit crap and sometimes this strengthen your you're a working relationship a little bit to, to do because I don't do any of this kind of talk on the phone or Skype or whatever. It's all email because yeah. I find that the best. Uh, so people it's more can, efficient. Yeah, somehow it is so. And I also have it in writing, whatever it is they yeah, want and, and stuff. Yeah. And then you can prove it to them. You asked me to, to put the mills yeah. up two <laughs> weeks ago. What's going on? Now you want them down again? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish yeah. I had invented that system in the 90s also. You <laughs> told me you yeah. wanted power slave drum sound. Now you want slaughter <laughs> of the soul. La, 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 la. No, but, but seriously, this is, uh, this is good so because um, I cannot really have too much you know, people around when you work because I've like like you just heard i don't even know what i am working on <laughs> it's all yeah, right. it's the only way to to maintain a, a steady income is just to say yes to pretty much everything and just yeah. hope that the, the lords of chaos kind of align things <laughs> in a good way you know and they right. have done so far and i'm very grateful I yeah, will I think sacrifice a goat or whatever in their honor. <laughs> <laughs> I think the Lord, Lord, Lords of Chaos have, have been in our favor. They have been in our favor today as well. I think we really touched on. I had a lot of things like messing, messing about in my head that I wanted to ask you with regards to Maiden and your connection. I think we really got a lot of it yeah. down here and very interesting parallels too. And I'd like to address you, uh, you listeners out there, if you have no clue who Don Svane is, maybe try check out uh, Moon Tower for start. I think it's a good start for a Maiden fan. And then you can, you know, kind of backtrack and forward track from that um, in case you're interested. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's a classic album and it really doesn't sound like any other metal album, I would say. So That's cool. check that one out. Definitely. That's my, my personal tip. Yeah, me and too. I, That's, yeah. I could also mention only that uh, one time, I think it's, I don't remember how long ago, but it was like end of 2000s. I, I recorded a lot of cover songs for the Odyssey re-release. And uh, there was, I think I even came as close to a rough demo of the Wasted Years. It oh, was really? supposed to be on with that Philips one. With Was that with Philipson? No, yeah, Lord obviously Cor the original uh, three-song EP was with Kenta Philipson on one song and Rick from Memory Garden from another. And then I did one song myself and they wanted to re-release it on Vic. And they asked me if I could do some cover versions to make it like you do with re-releases and i said oh, of course yeah. there's a few i always wanted to do and i did eyes of the world with rainbow shake the deceased the push mode um there's some uh, ufo michael shanker and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and uh, sandra sounding like pain meets rammstein but then we did wasted years like we me and per franson who worked with me in musik version 
he knew yeah. the song inside out and he played it for me and we thought we should try somehow to put even a bit of stranger in a strange land into wasted years from like especially the solo bits or whatever we, we had all this but since there was one more person involved which was pad it was never so straightforward like i did everything myself on all the other cover versions and mm. also, also candle mass at the gallows end is there so right. I think I did cool. that one instead of Wasted Years because, you know, it was all the time, oh, can you do it on Friday? No, oh, I have to do this. Okay, and then I have, because he is a fantastic guitar player, meaning when he was not working full-time in the shop, he was playing with everyone, including mm. uh, he had his own band, he had this Iron Maiden tribute band and this and that. So I could never get his ass over to do the actual guitars and bass <laughs> and solos and all that. And then the label came knocking, hey, we need the masters. And I said, oh, shit. And that, that's one of the big regrets because all the songs are, are tuned down uh, five whole steps so I can sing them. And I'm telling you, Wasted Years sounds really heavy when it's in, in B. B. I would love to hear that. Yeah, we want to we want to hear that. You should finish yeah. it up, send it to us. Yeah. We, we will premiere it. <laughs> we will premiere it. Be great. Dream on, you know. But and I remember <laughs> also the the drummer um, who was taking part of the drum selling in music version at the time. Robban, he was a super Iron Maiden fan, and he he met Nico, and he was really sheenish with the guy from Premier Premier Drums, who was Nico's and probably is Nico's. So he could go up to Stockholm and Iron Maiden played and set up Nico's kit and, you know, what, this and that. And I thought, maybe you could play the drums then on Wasted Years. Yeah, I could, you know. And then you had yet another parameter to, yeah. you know, it was like, oh. But um, I'm telling you, it's um, with, with the right guitar player who can give Adrian's part the right vibe, like I know Pal can, it yeah. will be stellar, really. So maybe cool. one day, you never yeah. know. Yeah, I thought it was worth mentioning. Of, oh, definitely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You should add a bit of strange in a strange land into that. We used to do that with Twilight, Edge of Sanity, when we played it. Actually, we played Dark Day in the middle because we didn't <laughs> have we didn't have a synthesizer. Yeah, so we did the Dark Day. Uh, I think the the stick, uh, the the bridge part. Is that when we uh, when we played Crimson on the Crimson tour? We played forty seconds of it rather than forty minutes. <laughs> People were right. very confused. We start yeah. we started and ended the set with. The opening riff like crimson is but in between we oh, played okay. like 12 other songs <laughs> yeah that works too uh, yeah, yeah I mean, because so, we uh, couldn't learn that fucking song it was impossible <laughs> i've tried to i wanted to play it live at some point you know i wanted to play it live i think i even emailed you back then and asked if you could do the clean vocals only live <laughs> and we would have another growler uh, uh, and i think you were almost uh, almost agreeing to it i don't remember i know that you don't want to growl the whole thing live Definitely no that that would not work out of the picture well, yeah, okay. Huge thanks yes. for, for joining us here. And uh, we do love to have guests. Everyone has their different Iron Maiden story. And I think this AOR Maiden story with the six-month manic uh, fandom uh, in the, in the mid-80s, it sticks out. It stands yeah, out. And uh, definitely part uh, I think Iron Maiden is not really one of those bands where you get quick in and out. It's like you, you get did. sucked in and you are, you are lost forever. Like my Pretty connection with, with Kiss or Judas Priest. But with Maiden... Yeah. It, it was really, really, really intense for like, a, like I told you, I had all, all the sacred tokens, even Soundhouse tapes and all that stuff and the books and, you know, all that shit. But I was like, uh, now it's some, something else showing up <laughs> because you, you, I, I guess it's just like when I eat too much chocolate pudding or whatever, I just <laughs> overindulge, you know, and then you cannot yeah. see the goddamn thing for a couple of months <laughs> that is right that is right but now you got to talk about it for another 
So now we had two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, and I think I, I, I look look back at uh, me with curly hair and my light blue sweatshirt with a red and white Iron Maiden logo and how happy I was in this time to finally have yeah. like a new favorite band you could obsess about and do right. everything with and draw Eddie and draw the logo and look for weird little strange details on the album covers and this and that you know it's, it was a magic time you know that's why we do a podcast yeah. where we talk about every single song and we don't even <laughs> only do that we have these kind of special episodes too you know we're trying to drag it out we wanted to continue for as long as possible so it was great to have you here and yeah, it was best funny. of luck uh, best of luck with the uh, grave carving and <laughs> yeah that's what they were called yeah cool that was <laughs> and all that stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot guys to it. all right Okay. Have a good day. Yeah. You See too. Ya. Bye bye. Bye bye. Up the irons.